Good morning. Welcome to Wake Up Carolina. Monday morning, December 18, 843-661-0937. Our number. Good morning, Josh. Good morning. Good morning, Reb. Good morning. Josh was nearly in freakout mode this morning when he pulls into the bar parking lot and my trusted old truck is not in the lot. Right, Josh? That's right. We pulled in simultaneously. Folks in Pamplico, that means at about the same time. Um, <laughs> and uh, looking at my thanks. email. Well, I mean, like, I, oh. I, no, I, in, in typical fashion, I went to the beach. And I'd already discussed with Rev about, hey, man, I may stay at the beach um, Sunday night. You know, so there's something that we could figure out in the first hour. So we had, and then I, I, I think I called you later in the week and said, hey, I was good. I mean, we're not staying until the storm hits. And it was a storm. Mm. I mean, it was, was um, it? it was a storm. Um, you want to be real technical? Yes. It was a, it was a bad mamma jamma. I mean, it really, <laughs> truly was. Man, that I mean, it was, bad. um, when you wake up, I, I remember Thursday afternoon, um, uh, Jamie Arnold of WMBF, who has been so gracious, uh, with us in, in times of, you know, weather and needing, uh, what more, more detailed reporting and, you know, specifically to this area uh, via this show, um, and I remember reading something on Twitter or Facebook about, you know, this, um, Nor'easter and I'm like, oh, come on, man. I mean, it's, um, they're talking about, they always talk about bad weather. You know how the weather is. And, uh, no, I mean, it was, um, it was as hard a rain as I've ever seen in my life without there being some noted storm. I mean, I, I've seen it rain that hard in hurricanes. Really? Obviously I've seen it rain that hard for five minutes in a thunderstorm. I've never seen it rain that hard, Forrest Gump style, sideways, um, <laughs> for as long as it did yesterday from about, what, um, 10.30 in the morning to 2 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I mean, it was crazy, crazy hard rain, and the wind blew, and the wind blew, and the wind blew. Um, so I stayed at the beach last night, got up at 3.45 this morning um, to drive in, and there were places in Georgetown that – um. The cops, that'd be police, um, Josh. The cops were uh, staking it out with blue lights, water crossing road to keep all us hardworking Republicans, you know, who get up before the break of day yes. to do our job and make our Even contribution. Even more so today. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's dedication. You make, gotta, make, make our contribution to our fellow man. <laughs> you got up at the coast and drove all the way over here. I got and, up, you, and you're here on time. I got up at 345, left there at 4, got here at about 530. Uh, about the same time Josh did, at about five. I'm um, 30 or so. So um, forgive me if I'm not as uh, in routine so, so do you have early what, this morning. What part of your routine then got left aside? Is it some of the show prep you do before no, the show? I'm, I got, I, I'm good there. Okay. I mean, it's just um, being a creature of habit, yep. sitting down here at exactly the same time every morning, um, going through a certain stoplight in Florence at exactly the same <laughs> time every morning. Um, minutes are valuable in the morning. When you get up as early as we do, you try not to lollygag. I mean, every minute is valuable. And you've almost got this weirdness, obsessiveness about you. Um, well, it is weirdness. I mean, there, there's no doubt about it. It's always been a weirdness with me. I like my mornings in particular, you know, the way they are supposed to be. And, um, well, I'll give you an example. So I'm, I'm about in Georgetown. There's blue lights. And I'm going, oh, somebody had a wreck or something. And it's water crossing road. And I'm thinking to myself, they're going to divert me. And I was almost that, freaking that out. That was something out of really out of the well, ordinary. Because I, mean, I thought about it, yeah. you know, and I said, okay, I mean, if something, 
I mean, if, if they do have to divert traffic in yeah. because of, I mean, you can't help it. I mean, it is what it is. And you calculated how long it would take you to get here, and then all of a sudden that's kind of thrown into question if you have to go a different way. Correct. Yeah. And, and thinking about different way, there's something about the south end of the beach. Um, I'll give an example. So you've got North, you got Cherry Grove, North Myrtle Beach, Myrtle Beach, with Surfside, Garden City, Myrtle's Inlet, Pauly's, or Litchfield, Pauly's, and then you've got uh, Georgetown, and then on the other side. And I've always wondered why there's not adequate infrastructure. You know, you got the northern connector. When you're going 501 to get to the other side of Ainer, you've got this 31 and 22, 22 and yeah. all that, you know, um, updated and upgraded highways. You don't have much of that on the southern end. So when I was in politics, I asked one of my DOT buddies. I said, hey, man, what are the plans to build some sort of southern connector? And he said, Ken, they're there's a lot of talk that there's a lot of debate. There's a lot of discussion. There's a lot about federal funding, but the reality is there's so much wetlands to mitigate. I mean, when you get in North Myrtle beach on the North end of the beach, it's just not anywhere near as marshy and, and wetlands to be mitigated. He said it would be almost impossible to build the kind of road on the Southern end that they built on the, on the Northern end. So I do what any um, smart butt would do. I go on Google earth. I kind of questioned my buddy, you know what he's talking about. I can build a road through there if they'll just give me enough time. I'll just access a picture from space here yeah, and there, see there what I go. can do. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I can build roads via Google Earth. I mean, you know me, um, but but it, it's, it's true. I mean, it's so marshy when you get down toward Georgetown. And uh, I mean, I've said you can't build a road, but there's got to be some economic feasibility as a part of this. And um, I mean, they build a road to Key West. I mean, you build a right, road. I mean, right. you know that. Yeah. But but is there enough money? Does it make enough sense? There, there's some is long there... bridges over, like, between Baton Rouge sure. and New Orleans. I mean, that, they've done this that, before. That span those those marshy wetlands but, areas. But you got to get federal funding, and you got to get Army Corps of Engineers and all oh, yeah. these. I mean, you might bump into a spotted owl or something. Um, you, you know the story. I mean, it's, um, it's complicated to build roads in certain places. I, I'll say this for clarity's sake. You ready? It's a lot less complicated to build roads from Myrtle Beach North than it is from Garden City South. I mean, from Garden City South, when you get down around Pauley's and, and Georgetown and McClellanville and some of those, um, you know, coastal communities, it's it's marshy. I mean, it's real marshy and real, uh, a lot of wetlands to be uh, to be mitigated. 843 661 Oh nine three seven. But this storm kind of came out of nowhere. I mean, I did I did hear about it at the end of the week. You saw some, you know, I guess online posting and heard on the weather forecast they're preparing for a storm on Sunday, and they canceled some uh, events around the beach, especially. I was down uh, at the coast on Saturday, and I noticed that they had piled extra dunes. I guess they made some man-made dunes at all the public beach accesses through like Garden City, and. It's like, wow, they must be really expecting well, some I, sort of sto storm surge. The angry, the ocean was angry, my <laughs> friends. <laughs> I mean, the ocean was extremely angry, uh, my friends. But I go back to the, I mean, I've, I've seen, I mean, obviously, you live in the coast or live near the coast, the wind blows. I mean, this just does. I mean, and, and you're going to have the threat of a hurricane. You're going to have thunderstorms. I mean, we live in a hot, humid climate. We live on, near a coast. You're going to have, every single year, the threat of thunderstorms, and they freak you out for a few moments, some of the microbursts. You know what I'm talking about. But I've never, ever, for four hours, in a non-named storm, seen it rain this hard. Hmm. I mean, I, I just have not. And uh, I'm thinking about, damn, I mean, <laughs> you know, you got a moment things to yourself. Um, 
just like an hour or two hours, two and a half hours, and all of a sudden you look out the door and you, man, <laughs> I mean, still at it. Didn't see this coming. Yeah. You know, can I get home or not? Yeah. Um, so I made a um, a decision. I think I texted you yeah. late in the afternoon, or it might have been midday, and said, "Hey, man, I'm a, I'm gonna I'm gonna hunker down. I'm a bed down and just see the see how this thing." <laughs> and back and back here at the at the homestead, I mean, it was a gloomy, rainy, cold, blustery day for the entire day, pretty much. Uh, but it doesn't sound like it was anything like it was at the coast. Well, I, I think we all got a lot of rain. I think um, the Pauley's Island area, the Georgetown, between Georgetown and Merle's Inlet, I mean, that's my neck of the woods, so to speak, the Waccamaw Neck. I mean, I, I think it was several places, 8.8 inches of rain, 7.9 wow. inches of rain. I mean, 8, 9 inches of rain in a day, that's um, that's heavy rainfall. I, mean, I saw some roofs blown off of uh, it was, you know, buildings. I mean, it was... It was um, I mean, I never, I, I was like never a tornado afraid. actually made its way. Through. Well, I mean, I, I didn't yike it. I mean, I, I just <laughs> did not, I did not yike it. I, mean, I told Josh, I said, where do we get the story? I, I don't yike it. I'm going to share the story there. I said, yeah, when we lived in another neighborhood, my two boys were real little. I mean, they were probably five and six and their bedrooms were upstairs uh, in the house we had bought. First house we ever owned. And, um, and lightning struck a transformer. Just, I mean, right in our front yard, and it blew up like a bomb from you know where. And my youngest son, I mean, I'm going up the stairs, he's coming down the stairs, and he said, Hold me, hold me, I don't yike it, I don't yike it. <laughs> Little did he know that I didn't yike it uh, any more than, any more than he yiked it. 843-661-0937 is our number. Uh, I'm going to throw three subjects out that I want us to really chew on this week and kind of figure out because we're going to have to deal with it um i mean we are five days away we got monday tuesday wednesday thursday and friday of this week we're off next week so so once friday gets here and passed we won't talk again until what january the second or third january the second and we're two weeks away from the iowa caucus once that happens and i want to kind of delve into three subjects that we're going to have to talk about and discuss and defend to some degree, uh, degree as Republican voters. We'll do that in just a second. Let's go to the phone. Charles in Lamar. Good morning, Charles. Good morning. Well, the first thing that you got to talk about this morning after the storm is the fact that today is Ken Ard's birthday. So happy birthday, Ken. Thank you, Charles. Very kind of you. Thank you very much. <laughs> And uh, and I hope you have a great day and a great week. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Thank you, Charles. Very kind of you. Appreciate that. <laughs> well, you should see the look on his face, Charles. <laughs> Charles just went off the good list, didn't he? <laughs> Charles, Charles is on the good list. Yeah, Charles stays know, on the good list. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven is our number. Um, yeah, it's Merry about Christmas. time to take a break here. About time to take a break here. We'll we'll move along. So 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 you. I mean, you you've been with me mm-hmm. um, twelve years. Yep. 13 years. Yep. Um, I like to skate past you do. that. You know, you I do. like to kind of flop, especially this year. Yeah. I mean, especially this year. But Charles and I were texting yesterday. Charles lost his dog. And, um, and you know, oh. talking about losing your dog and how important the dog is. And we're exchanging text messages. I mean, it's hard for me to be sympathetic to Charles because the name of the dog was Clemson. Clemson. Yeah. Oh. But, but, you know, I mean, and, and Sorry, Charles, Charles made a point. Kind of interesting. Charles said... Um, that he was with Clemson had cancer and he was with Clemson until the very end. And I've heard stories from vets 
that the owner is so distraught they don't want to be in the room with the dog, knowing it's terminal, knowing we're at the end here. But the dog is so much more comfortable if you're there. And Charles said he held Clemson's hand um, until the very end because that, I don't know, just comforts the dog um, toward the end. Uh, I've never been, and this is kind of weird to say, I've never been a big dog person, so to speak. My grandfather had hunting dogs, blue ticks and red hounds and all these, um, and they were, I mean, they didn't stay in the house. You know what I mean? That They weren't pets, so to speak. They were kind of working and farming animals. Um, I mean, he squirrel hunted and coon hunted and bird hunted, and I mean, he had dog after dog, and all of them were named just, just crazy. Na- but they were, I mean, they, they were more like working animals than they were pets. And somewhere in the last 25 or 30 years, and some believe we've gone too far. I mean, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I think we made a grave mistake when we bought the dog in the house to play with the boy instead of the boy going outside to play with the dog. I mean, I, I still believe that. I think fundamentally that's not good for society. Um, but I do, when you when I hear, when I read Charles's text, and it was so interesting to me, you know, and I understand it. I mean, if, you, if, a, if a dog's been a big part of your life and your family, um, I've had to do that a few times and it's, it's a pain that is really hard to but, describe. But, but every vet I've ever spoken with says the dog is so much more at ease and comfortable. If you're there, I, believe I mean, you, you, they depend on you, you depend on them. And I mean, I don't know if they know they're dying or not. I don't have any idea. I mean, I don't know how to even go down that road and decide whether, you know, a dog knows, Hey, I'm at the end here, but, but the person that has been there for them needs to be there for them, I guess, when they take their their last breath. Um, now, now Charles could get a new dog and name him Carolina, couldn't he? <laughs> doubt it. <laughs> I doubt <laughs> it. I doubt but, it. But Charles, I'm, I'm really seriously. sorry to hear that. that. No, no question about it. Very sorry um, to hear that. But there's one sure thing about dogs. I mean, they're, they're going to die. They just are. I mean, you, you can kind of go into dog ownership thinking they're going to live forever and just, you know, be totally distraught when they don't. Or you can go and say, hey, I'm going to love this dog as much as I can love an animal. I'm going to hope they love me back. And when they're gone, if I'm a dog person, I'll just get another. And I'll never forget this one. Um, but, you know, this next one deserves your your love and and consideration. 843-661-0937. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937. Takes Mondays to make Friday. So these are three, these are three subjects. And I wrote them down. I don't know. I thought about it over the weekend. Things we could really talk about and hope the show gains forward momentum and builds upon itself. And I want to use Josh as kind of my um my guinea pig, um, so to speak. There are three things that I think we have to, with clarity, have to understand. They're going to be a part of the election, if, especially if Trump's the nominee. And I think we're you know we're beginning to believe. I mean, I saw some polling over the weekend, the CBS poll that shows Haley has surged a bit. I mean, honestly, surged. I mean, she hadn't surged anywhere uh, on any day except in this poll. And I have no idea if this is a valid, legitimate poll or not. But Nikki went from about uh, 21 to 29. I mean, that's a surge. 21 to 29 is a surge. Sununu's endorsement of the media kind of fawning over, you know, the, the, the current governor of New Hampshire, the former governor of South Carolina. Uh, the country club Republicans, the um, uh, the Chamber of Commerce Republicans, kind of, um, I don't know, just 
hysterically anticipating a convergence of the never Trumpers. I mean, that's just, that's kind of what they are, are celebrating, but it still looks to me like, cause I went back last night uh, or yesterday afternoon and broke down some numbers. Um, and I Trump's at 58 in this same CBS poll. Um, DeSantis at 22 Haley's at 13. So DeSantis is a kind of a one trick pony. I mean, it's, I'm putting all my eggs in Iowa and Trump's at 58 in Iowa. I mean, that's a crazy number. Um, DeSantis at 22 in Iowa. Um, I don't know if you saw this or not, but one of his, um, top strategists, um, stepped down yesterday from uh, never back down or don't back down. What am I trying to say? That's Fleetwood Mac song. What, what's the name? Um, um, uh, I think yeah, it's never, never back, down. never back down. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, um, I don't think Stevie Nicks runs the pack, but she, <laughs> you know, um, I think that's the never back down. Yeah. Yep. Jeff Rose. Okay. Jeff name. Rose, the guy's name. There's some, I mean, it seems to me there's been a lot of internal problems with the DeSantis campaign. I think Ron DeSantis mis, misjudged how complicated running a presidential campaign is. And I think being somebody who likes to keep his hands on everything, we've referred to him as somewhat of a technocrat. Um, I, I just think he's really, really underestimated the complexities of running um, a Trump cam, excuse me, a presidential campaign. So you got DeSantis at 22, um, Trump at 58 in Iowa. When we get back after Christmas, we're two weeks out. So, I mean, the field, I don't want to say the field's set, but there's not a lot of movement that's going to happen in that. In that. I mean, if, if that poll properly reflects where the Iowa electorate are, Trump's going to win Iowa. And then we go to New Hampshire. So you've got Trump facing DeSantis in Iowa, and DeSantis has done everything he can. I mean, every investment in his campaign has been about getting out of Iowa. So if DeSantis doesn't get out of Iowa, if Trump beats DeSantis by 25 points in Iowa, he's done. I mean, there, there is no future for Ron DeSantis. Does he stay in? Does he get out? Um, does he have enough money to get to? Um, does he have enough money to get to uh, South Carolina? You know, and that would be Iowa, and then New Hampshire, and then Nevada, and then and then South Carolina. Um, I gotta believe that somebody's going to whisper in DeSantis's ear. Hey, you could come back in 28. I mean, they, you know, you've not damaged yourself to the point of having zero chance in 28 to be to be the nominee. Um, endorse Trump. You know, get out of this thing and endorse Trump. Because, guys, there's not this. I mean, I, I understand the debate about the Republicans have dissent and the Republicans have. Uh, you can't win if you're not an America firster. I mean, you just can't. I mean, you can do the math 10 ways till Sunday. I'll give you an example. New Hampshire, from what I've read, I'm not in New Hampshire, the live free or die state, is about as unfriendly to America first as any state in America in the Republican primary. I mean, California is not a big fan of America first. Uh, it's a Democrat state. New York wouldn't be the big fan. Or, um, they may be changing a bit. I only saw the, some of the remarks from the uh, New York City uh, mayor. You know, if I were president, I could fix some of this immigration. But it was not, it was, he could have, I mean, Mayor Adams could have cared less as long as they were ransacking the ranches in Texas and Arizona right. and the cattle farmers were having to deal F with funny all the how problems. That works. But all of a sudden they're knocking on, on his front door and he could solve the problem with illegal immigration. But, but of all the, of all the states that, you know, that the Republicans are going to have primaries in, New Hampshire is about as unfriendly to America first as anybody so, so let's play out worst case scenario for Trump. Let's say Trump wins Iowa. 
I mean, that, that CBS poll just convinces me he's going to win Iowa. Now, now, what is the margin? I don't have any idea. The CBS poll has him at 58. I think nationally he's at about 49. Um, let's say he wins with 50% of the vote. Let's say he wins with 45% of the vote. DeSantis gets 25%, and Haley gets 15 or 16%. Ramaswamy and Christie get what's left over. And then you go to New Hampshire. And, and here's the only thing that could complicate this. Um, if Trump wins Iowa, does he, is it building momentum? Does some of the um, DeSantis voters say, because I think Trump wins about ah, 65% of the DeSantis voters. Haley or Christie would get the other, the other um, 35%, so it's roughly two to one. I mean, DeSantis is kind of a reflection of, you know, um, one of his voters, for one, one of every three of his voters are going to be kind of establishment Republicans. Two of three are going to be America first. So if, if DeSantis gets out or if becomes insignificant in New Hampshire, then Trump goes, the lead goes from 44. Let's give, let's give Trump half the DeSantis votes. That gets him to about 50, uh, probably about 48. So you, you take that 48, and let's say that Christie, Christie's at 10 in the CBS poll in New Hampshire. Um, let's say Nikki gets all of those votes, every single one of those votes. She goes from 29 to 39. And it's not an exact one-for-one one vote, but there's a mathematic correlation that you've got to do. That gets Nick at about 35, 36-ish. Um, I mean, in the most unfriendly state in America, to America first, Trump beats Nikki 48-35. I, I just don't see that there seems to me to be no way. Forget what Politico says. Forget what the New York Times says. Forget what the Sunday morning shows yesterday try to sell um, Mickey got a bit testy with, um, Carl yesterday. I don't know if you saw any of that or no. not, but he kept talking about on and on. I mean, he was asking her to respond. It was not about her agenda. It was not about her platform. It was not about governor Haley. What do you believe about X or Y or Z? It was about Trump. I mean, it was Trump, 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 you know, Trump said this, Trump did that. Trump's a candidate of retribution. Trump believes this Trump. Well, what do you think about what Trump said? Didn't you work for Trump? What do you think that Trump said? And she said, and it was a good answer. She said, you folks are far more obsessed with Donald Trump than the average voters are. What she's basically saying, and she could have done a job, she could have done even better had she said, you folks take him literally. We take him figuratively. We kind of think we know what he means when he says, I wouldn't mind being, big di- being dictator for a day. I mean, we kind of know what he's saying when he, when he says that. And we kind of, you know, we chuckle a little bit. You folks freak out. And I think he gave a great answer, or she gave a good answer that could have been a great answer if she said, you know, y'all believe him literally. Y'all think when he says, you know, something, when he's, he's kind of goaded into saying uh, these sorts of things. But I just don't see the math denying Trump the nomination. I mean, I, the CBS poll uh, is friendly to Nikki in New Hampshire. It's not friendly to her in Iowa. I mean, I just don't see how anybody, I understand the way it's set up. I mean, I've heard Drew McKissick say this. You know, we do these things very uniquely. You've got this election in this state, and then somebody drops out, and then you go to the next state, and it kind of breaks up the field a little bit, and somebody's got momentum, and somebody doesn't have any momentum. Somebody's got a little more, uh, you know, uh, cash in the account. They can do a little more advertising. Somebody else is struggling to get funding. I mean, I understand it's not a traditional, I mean, it's not like the presidential election. You don't do it all on the the same day. I mean, it, it, it builds and you have time to goof it up or get it right. 
But but I think as we move forward, Josh, and I want you to think about this during the break. Here are the three subjects I want to give me your opinion of, and I want Rev to do the same. You ready? January 6th, COVID, and the 2020 election. I mean, moving forward, we're going to have to talk a lot about January 6th. We're going to have to talk a lot about COVID. We're going to have to talk a lot about the 2020 presidential election. Where do we need to be in hopes and anticipation of Trump winning the 2024 presidential election? Those are going to be central themes to the next presidential election. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937 takes Mondays to make Fridays. Josh, you're up. You ready? Uh-huh. Top five answers on the board. <laughs> okay. Thousand people so, survey. Some family feud. <laughs> <laughs> what happened on January 6th, Josh? That means January 6th, COVID, and uh, the 2020 presidential election are going to be topical. I mean, they really are. There's no way around it. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got to have coherent responses about those three issues. I mean, I understand taxes and I'm spending and all that, but th- I'm, I'm telling you, the media is going to try and make this election about Trump's failures on COVID, the fact that he believed and would accept the outcome of the election, and January 6th was on his watch. He instigated, he incited an insurrection. What is our response? What should our response? I'm asking our listeners, I mean, collectively and together, Let's figure out what needs to be our talking point. Elevator spiel on January 6th, on COVID, and on the 2020 presidential election. What say you, young buck? Well, I think, uh, I guess if you're asking collectively, like what should we all say about it? I think with January 6th, we should say, look, I'm not professing to know exactly what happened, but I am saying that there was something fishy about the election and they won't let you talk about it. It's not that it was uh, investigated, proven to be wrong, and we just can't accept it. They wouldn't investigate it. And and they're doubling down. They're saying it was the most secure election in history, which it clearly was not that. Do we own it? I think do, we should. Do, do we admit that there were things happened that we wish never had happened? I Yes. It was a sad day in American history. I mean, I've said yes, it, and, and but Rev, not because well, of, I mean, we're in a, we're we're in a general. I understand, my dear friend. We're not in a primary. I mean, that that sails like 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 holy water in the primary, but this is a general. Rez nodding his head because yeah. he knew where I was headed when you said when you said that. Right. I mean, it, we're, we're talking about one hundred fifty thousand people in six states. We're, we're not talking about the GOP crowd that meets at the um at the at the local buffet on Monday night. They're with you. I mean, they're right. loud and proud. You'll never convince them that January 6th was not somewhat of an inside job. I mean, that, we, but but we've got to we've got to fashion an answer that Which sits is, well with about 125 to 50 thousand people that are watching Seinfeld as we speak. Mm-hmm. I mean, this morning that they're they're listening to Taylor Swift the, tonight. That their, their television won't be on CNN. It won't be on Fox. It won't be on MSNBC. Um, they're going to be watching Seinfeld, and and sometime during the next year, they're going to begin thinking about the events of January six, and why do I want to go through that again? Why? Why? I mean, that that that's the guy that kind of brought me that episode in American history. Why do I want to vote for him ever again? I'm just telling you, that's not you, Josh. That's not me. That's not Reb. That's 125,000 people in in Pennsylvania, in Wisconsin, in Michigan, in Nevada, Arizona, Georgia. 
Those We've got to fashion an answer and a response that is tolerable to them. It doesn't have to be perfect because I, I don't think the Seinfeld watcher completely dismisses activist politics. I mean, it's right. not like they don't know it exists. I mean, the person watching Seinfeld, they know that there's a universe of people unbelievably passionate. I'll give you an example. I mean, I, I'm watching, uh, I was talking to Rev a second ago about January 1st. I'm real discouraged, and I understand it. You stay out of the NFL's way. But I don't like the fact that the two biggest college football games of the year are going to be on the Monday night we come back to work. I mean, that makes no sense to me until you look at the NFL's ratings. And then you go, okay, I get it now. I mean, the NFL's in the end of its season, and you're not going to beat the NFL on Saturday and Sunday. You just aren't. The, the Seinfeld watcher knows there's two big football games, but they're going to watch Netflix. I mean, they're very aware that there's a universe of people out there about to drool over themselves waiting on these two damn football games, and they probably even call them ball games. I mean, you, you know where I'm headed. So that's the, I mean, but they're going to watch Seinfeld. I mean, they're going to watch Netflix. They're not investing. We've got to find an answer. I think, Josh, I think Josh's answer was perfect. It's and perfect. and that's, that is the answer. But it's perfect in a primary. I, 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 think I want we to have to lead. I think we have to lead with, hey, we regret it. I mean, do we regret it? No. <laughs> you I mean, I, I, I regret parts of what happened. Okay. But, I regret but, but, that but, it didn't work. But but I think, do you, do you think, let me ask you this question. <laughs> you what my I, crazy heard, I heard what he said. He said he regrets it didn't work. <laughs> I know. That's, that's Don't funny. let him anywhere in <laughs> Nevada, Arizona, Pennsylvania, or, or Georgia. But, but, yeah. but, I, but I think we're, he said we're, it. We're, we're sending Josh. We're sending Josh to Greenville County, South Carolina. <laughs> we're, we're not letting him anywhere near near some of the swing states. That was good. He said he's he said it didn't work. Well, what do you mean the coup didn't work? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> no yeah. guillotines. Yeah. That was our oh, first mistake. Okay. <laughs> but 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 I think. Well, I guess I would ask you this question because he, I think he posed it perfectly. So you had a group of people that thought something was up and you weren't even allowed to ask the questions. And that is so frustrating. But, this do, was, you, but do you lead with that? You, or do you, you lead with, man, I am, I am terribly upset. Because you, you can't defend, you know, the, the trespassing and the breaking and entering. Um, you can obviously say, no, it was not an insurrection. It wasn't. I think you could say that. Sure. I yeah. mean, I, I think you could say, you know, I deny... The, 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 I deny the accusation that it was an insurrection. Nobody's been charged right. with insurrection. Nobody had a gun. That's right. I mean, there was no weapon charge. This was not a coup. I mean, this was not an attempt to overthrow the government. Stop with that nonsense. I mean, I think you can go there. I mean, no, no, there were no gun charges. There are no charge of insurrection. I mean, it was not a, it was not an attempt to stop the peaceful transition to power, but things got out of hand. I mean, things really got out of hand and we regret that. I mean, we regret that MAGA or America first, the Republican party had anything to do with that i mean i, I know what josh is saying yeah but i don't want to say something i don't mean I, I know what you're thinking i mean you're saying like wow man that's a bit disingenuous i mean you're asking me to say things that i fundamentally disagree with but but do we want trump to win or not i mean we're making the assumption trump's the nominee and when i see the poll in iowa i get new hampshire i mean i understand the stars aligned and nikki caught every break you can catch and she bumped about seven points that's not a big deal in the grand scheme of things. Trump's going to be the nominee. Um, if Trump's going to be the nominee, January 6th is going to be front and center. You know that's going to be the yeah. case. It's yeah. going to be a little bit of talk about debt, a little bit of talk about taxes, a little bit of talk about traditional orthodox politics. The majority of what he is going to have to address is January 6th. And we as defenders of America first, 
have to address that in a way that is relatable and understandable and not offensive to the 125 or 50,000 people that aren't listening to this radio show this morning, that are not going to watch Sean Hannity tonight, that, that have no idea what National Review of Breitbart wrote about on their websites. And I just want to say, because I think Dave kind of picked on uh, picked up on what I was getting at, which is, obviously, I think, I agree with you, the ideal thing is not to have to talk about it at all. But you're going to have to. But you're going to have to. So I think the best thing you could say is, I have questions that I'm not allowed to ask. That That's the main point I was getting at. Obviously, you know, you, us talking about it, I have... A little bit more extreme opinions, but you know, I get that. But, but but you also accept the realities that people don't share that opinion. Of course, the people that we need to pull the lever for Trump are just not as passionate about what yeah, they don't believe. Lie. Don't compromise. Like don't say, "Well, I I believe that it was terrible." You know. But they've also been don't. hearing the drumbeat of mainstream media reporting that it was an insurrection. It was the worst thing. I mean, we've had the president and vice president speaking since. That day, that this is the worst thing to happen since 9-11, right? So that's been the public media narrative ever since it happened. And that's what they believe. I mean, I've read some pollings. I mean, uh, some polls, a, a lot of the public believes that to be the case. Let's take a break. I nobody got a call. We'll get to that on the other side back in a few. We're going to send Josh to Wyoming. We're going to let Josh be in charge of the Trump campaign in Montana and Wyoming. <laughs> Josh is to stay a million miles away from Nevada, Arizona, Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Georgia. Josh is not allowed anywhere near, near those 125,000 independent voters. But we'll send him to Wyoming and Montana and let him rustle up some cowboy vote uh, in those very, very red states. And uh, he can sell January 6th the way he chooses to sell January the 6th. Understandable. Uh, oh, fair enough. Fair hey, enough. How, how is it, though, you can, like, if, if your message should be, for example, how America was, how the Trump presidency was before COVID, most people agree economy was doing well, world was in relative peace, things were better on Earth. <laughs> you know, whether Trump gets deserves credit, you know, whatever. Well, he deserves some credit, sure, of course. Sure. But, you know, how do you sell that message without having to address COVID, the election, and January 6th. Well, that's why I've got COVID as one of the three issues. I think we, we've got to get our heads together. And I know he's got strategists and consultants and people like Robert Haley polling uh, some of these questions. But but I think we've got to get coherent and believable and relatable and sellable messages. What Josh doesn't like is the sellable side of it. But we're selling. I mean, we're selling a, a you know a candidate to 125,000, 150,000 people. They're very skeptical about whether this guy or that guy is better. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Jacob in Florence. Good morning. Good morning, guys. Um, do you remember that movie, Thelma and Louise? I do. Have you ever seen that movie? You do. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that was uh, Susan Sarandon and Gina Davis. And you also had Brad Pitt in that movie. Uh, some would say that's a feminist movie. Uh, you know, I, I'm I'm just referencing that movie for one reason. At the end, you remember the part where both ladies are in the car and they drive off the cliff? I do. Okay. So I I use that as a metaphor. And, and what I see is that's the Democrat Party driving the car. They're driving the car over the cliff. And, and that car is, is our country. That's the United States. The only, the only question is, are the Republicans in the back seat? 
because they, you know, for a long time, they haven't been doing much to, to stop this craziness. And look, I, I'm not going to I'm not going to rag on the Republicans. I know there's a, a, a plenty of good ones, but it seems like Washington is full of rhinos. And rhinos are sometimes worse than Democrats because they're they're really Democrats in disguise. OK, so Washington, I mean, you could see what happened last week with, with that scandal in, in the uh, in Congress. All right. So. This is what Washington has become a cesspool. So what, why are people gravitating towards Trump? Trump represents the typical American. Not, he's not necessarily a, a, a Republican, but he's definitely not a, a, a crazy leftist Democrat, okay? And I think American people see that. And, and, and when they see Trump being persecuted, and, and being ridiculed and being attacked because he doesn't want to be part of the machine, I think a lot of people see that, and they and they, and they gravitate towards that. That's why he, he's not a savior by no means. He's, he's just a, a man, just like any one of us. But what he represents is something bigger. He represents an American trying to fight for his freedom, trying to fight for what he or she believes in. And that, I think that's the message that's resonating in the country. And And so... When you look at when you look at all this commentary about why do, why are people supporting Trump still even with all these uh, these fake convictions and well not convictions accusations right why well because people people are getting what's going on they they know that all this is a farce it's a setup and you know we're waking up now. Half of the country has woken up. The other half has to wake up, all right? Americans are not nor Democrat or uh, Republican. They are independent. That's what we, we should view ourselves as independents. And we should support the, the people and the parties that are making the right decisions for this country. What do you think about that, Ken? Thank I mean, you. Appreciate I, that. I mean, one of the things I try to, uh, you know, I mean— it's probably one of the uh, better moments of the week last week, and we don't have many bright moments, but w- when I tried to articulate, and I think I did it fairly well. I mean, I'm sure somebody could do it better than I. I mean, you do, you, you try to, you, you got to look at Trump in separate fashions. I mean, he is a Republican candidate for president. By definition, that's what he is. I mean, we, we all believe this next election is the most important election in the history of mankind. Until the next one, and it's the most important election. I mean, the, you know, the country's at a crossroads, and you know, you got plan option A and option B, and they're fundamentally different and diametrically opposed. Um, every election is based on certain criteria and fundamentals. I mean, it really is. But but my argument is always being Trump is a manifestation of a political movement that took a half generation to evolve. And I really believe that if you dig all the way to the bottom, in other words, there's a, um, you know, there's a core to America first. And, and it's the most, I mean, it's, the, it's, the, it's, the, it's the, the hottest burning part of America first, I believe, and I could be wrong. And there are callers that have taken exception with a lot of things I've said over the year, and that makes for, for better radio. But, but I believe that the majority of people in the conscious and subconscious believe that Trump is legitimately a disruptor has a chance to disrupt the power norms in our structured politics, the political ecosystem, 
that has been created. And I'm not, I mean, it, it is an evolution. I mean, it started with Jefferson and Hamilton. And out of that came, you know, a uh, kind of kind of a run of, of limited government. And then along came the Civil War. And out of that came, you know, a certain America. And then the New Deal. And out of that came another certain America. And then the, the Second World War. And out of that came another certain sort of America. And I believe the second, the post-Second World War world that all of us live in has, we have seen over an extended period of time, a small group of people gain more and more power. And it's natural. I mean, that, that's kind of a natural evolution. Um, I mean, do you believe that the person running the most prominent finance firm in America says, wow, I got too much power. I mean, I need to go to Washington and, and, and tell them, hey, let, let's pass some legislation that relieves me of some of this enormous power and influence I have over the economy. And I, and I think once we begin to understand Davos, the World Economic Forum, the Klaus Schwab's of the world. I think that's when we said something doesn't make sense there. I mean, you know, you, you got you got a couple of hundred people that get together in the Swiss Alps, and they decide the world that the rest of us get to live in. Something just doesn't make sense there. I mean, we didn't know what they were talking about. We didn't know if they flew in Lears or or Gulf Streams, but we knew that a, a lot of a lot of their commentary was not in our best interest. And, and, and the advent of policy that came out of that. I mean, you know, um, it's, it's almost like Washington was beholden to these self-appointed masters of the universe. So last week when I said that, that to me, and I don't have any idea what emotional investment you've made to support Trump or to, or to put you in that, in that place. I can only speak for myself. And I think I have a fairly burst understanding, having served in politics, been in business, uh, you know, now I guess quasi-media. I mean, I, I bring a lot of different attributes to the table. I didn't say skills. I said a lot of different experiences um, to the table. And I'm convinced that the, the core of America First is a genuine belief that too few people have amassed too much influence and prosperity out of our global economy, America in particular. And if 95% of the most powerful people in America oppose Donald Trump, I need to be for him. I mean, I, I live a good life. Things have worked out okay for me. I mean, I, I'd, I'd like to believe, Rev and Josh, I'd like to believe that I've made some good decisions and I've reaped the benefit. I've made some bad decisions. I've suffered the consequences. I've rolled the dice a few two times, a few too many times. Um, but, but out of that came, I don't know, a fairness. A fairness that I can say, yeah, I mean, life's been okay to me. But but you got about 95% of the most powerful people in America who don't want fairness. They don't want equality. They don't want opportunity for all. They want more power, more money, more influence, more prosperity. They they built a, a machine. They're in control of the machine. And they'll dole out Josh's share, and they'll dole out Rev's share, and they'll dole out Ken's share, and we're okay. I mean, my share gets me by. Rev's share and Josh's share get him by. And all of a sudden, Trump shows up and says, drain the swamp. Well, what is the swamp? I mean, to me, it's the, it's, it, it's the reason. When he says that, and, and I, I've had others say, well, Kenny's not really a disruptor. He's not changed much of anything. That, that's fair to some degree. I mean, there's no question about it. Trump, I think, misunder or, or underestimated um, how, how powerful some of the staffers are, some of the organizational structure is, 
some of the, um, I mean, we talked last week about elite universities and how many people go directly from that elite university to a, a media outlet or an administrative agency within our government. I think Trump terribly underestimated how profoundly entrenched those forces were and how they work a certain way. We're talking about the cathedral now. Um, but no, I, I believe that that when 95% of the most, and this isn't Republican or Democrat, I mean, this is not about ideology, but if 95% of the most powerful people in America, both Republican and Democrat, oppose one guy as passionately and consistent as they do about Donald Trump, we need to be for him. And, and it's not that I believe America's mistreated Ken, because I don't. I think America's given me far more than I probably deserve. But in proportion to Goldman and J.P. Morgan and BlackRock and Vanguard and the military-industrial complex, GDP prosperity is a finite number. I mean, it is. We, we've discussed this a hundred times on this show. And there are some people getting far more than their fair share because they build a machine that makes sure they get far more than their fair share, and they can't have anybody threatening to tinker around with that machine. Now, will Trump? I don't know. Don't have any idea what his next term looks like. Does Trump usher in an era of political instability and chaos? I hope he does. I mean, I don't think you can orderly tear this machine apart. I mean, you know, you get it. You get we're at Christmas time, so parents get instructions on how to put these things together, right? I mean, you're buying your kid a gift. It's got an instruction of how to put it together. I don't know if there's an instruction of how to take it apart. I mean, you kind of remember how you put it back together and you take it apart accordingly, but we're not trying to build something. In all honesty, it's kind of the, the weirdness of this political movement. We're building a political movement to try and tear down a political system. I mean, that, that's odd. I mean, we're, you know, when you think about Jefferson Hamilton, what is the best way to govern? We don't know, but we're not trying to tear something down and replace it with something else. I think fundamentally that's what we're trying to do. Now, I think that's in our best of days. I don't have any idea how much of that is attainable or possible, but in essence, that's our intrigue with Trump. Some of us have decided that, that whether or not he's a political disruptor, he brings about chaos and instability and uncertainty. And that instability and certainty and chaos could lead, I mean, we know if the trains run on time, there's nothing going to ever change, right? I mean, if Goldman's got so much power today, they'll have more tomorrow. If J.P. Morgan's got so much power today, they'll have more tomorrow. BlackRock, Vanguard, Raytheon, McDonnell Douglas, some of these huge companies that have invested so much resources. I saw an interesting ad yesterday, Pfizer, on the NFL football games. Hmm, why is that? I mean, that, that's, that's real targeted advertising. You know what Pfizer's decided? We're not advertising on Meet the Press any longer. We convinced all them. I mean, some of these, you know, testosterone-bleeding male football fans are the ones that question whether or not we had their best interest at heart. So let's reach out to the NFL. I mean, it's the building of a machine. It's attaining or retaining control of that, of that machine. So if 95% of the most powerful people and organizations in the world, both forget Republican, Democrat, I mean, this has nothing to do with R or D, conservative or liberal. This is about power and authority. And there's one guy that they suspect may have enough influence with an audience of people that they could exert some sort of change. January 6th was a bad day for America. 
January 6th was a worse day if you're one of those 95% most powerful people on the planet that have figured out a way all these years for the trains to run on time and everything to be as is. And and, and Trump is an embodiment. Now, now once again, the, the counter argument is, well, he didn't change anything. I mean, he, he's had four years and he didn't change much of anything. There's fairness to that. But, but I've said it before and I'll say it again. This is not a sprint. I mean, this is a step forward, half step back. Two steps forward, one step back. And if Trump wins in 24, I think it's the biggest step forward breaking apart the power, the 95% who so passionately. Do you believe business people oppose Donald Trump because he has anti-business policies? They suspect he may have some anti-insiderism policies. Take a break. Back in a few. See, Josh, and that's the point I'm trying to make. The point is we have a very unconventional candidate in a very chaotic moment in American political history, and I desperately want to win because I think the powerful people have abused the right to be powerful. They don't deserve the power and influence and prosperity. They've, I mean, they, they've done it by fleecing the government. I mean, they fed at the trough of government. I'm talking about the military-industrial complex and big finance and Wall Street and all these companies and all these lobbyists and all these consultants. They don't have a biased bone in their body. They're not about Republican or Democrat. They're about money and wealth and power and influence. But, but because we're in a chaotic, unpredictable, unconventional moment, you still can't deny nor escape the fact that there are independent voters in about five states that will decide whether Trump gets to be president or not again. So we've got this, it's almost like a, uh, when do we have bad weather when these fronts collide? I mean, we kind of had some of that over the weekend at the beach in particular. So we've got this, this very unconventional force called America first and it's powerful and it's intense and there's an ass of us, <laughs> but it still runs into the reality of the independent voter in Wisconsin, the independent voter in Pennsylvania. I mean, they, they know they're aware of all these things, but they're not as dedicated. They're not as informed. They don't, they, they don't look at January 6th like you do. They don't look at the election of 2020 like you do. So, yes, I mean, we've got to maintain this energy that, that is so prevalent in America first. But we can't deny the reality that, that we can't just say, hey, you folks in Philadelphia vote this way or else. Or you folks in Green Bay, Wisconsin, vote this way. I mean, there's still practicalities that apply, whether we want them to or not. You don't want them to apply, Josh. I don't. I mean, I want it to be all about energy and populism and emotion and and chaos and non-conventional. I, I want to watch them squirm. I mean, I want to see houses in the Hamptons for sale, and I want to see yachts for sale, and I want to see private jets. I mean, I, I want to see that. I'm sorry, I do. I think those people have earned half of what they deserve. Excuse me, they, they've, they, they've received about half what they've earned. I want to see houses in the Hamptons up for sale and jets for sale and yachts for sale. But the only way to sustain a political movement, and Trump's not going to do that. I mean, this is a generational evolution that's going to take a long time to progress or to process and get to a, to a better place. But, but you still got to respect that independent vote in Wisconsin. And that independent voter in Arizona. I mean, we've, we've got to sell. That's why I use the word sellable. Is the message on January 6th sellable? You know how you feel. I know how I feel. Rev knows. The callers know how, how they feel. But, but that's not who's going to win. 
and, and see if Trump can historically win the presidency. And you have the other side who are selling their ideas, I guess, and talking about how bad Trump is. Well, but 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 Carville makes an interesting point. Carville's smart. I mean, the guy's really bright. Mm-hmm. Carville says the only energy in this election cycle is America first. I mean, the, the, oh, the, Biden, the Biden voters are not excited about Biden. I mean, they, they're excited about being against Trump. You're right about that. I mean, that, that, that's what gets them excited. Let's stop Trump from winning. Let's stop those hayseeds and cowboys and hillbillies and, and rednecks and race car fans. I mean, if we can stop them, we will have kind of preserved the union, you know, a, a, a better and more sacred union. But, but the only energy is America first. But, but it's not as pervasive some places as it is in others. And I want to win. I mean, I think the one thing Drew McKissick says that I can relate to, losers don't make the rules. I mean, they just do not. Can Trump win in 2024, and can he do something he didn't do in 2016, and that is execute a plan to get rid of more of the swamp than he successfully did? And we talked about the American moment, you know, the the the, the group that Teal's kind of um not personally funding, but he and some other believers and America First are funding kind of the training for staffers. So if Trump does get elected, there are about 2,000 staffers out with the old, in with the new. That is a monumental change if that happens. But it doesn't happen unless he wins in Pennsylvania or he wins in Wisconsin or he wins in Michigan, Arizona, Nevada, Georgia. Got to win those states. Let's go to the phones. Breeze, good morning. You're on. You know, would you used to build those Trump beds, if you sold one, you could go to bed at night knowing you earned that, and the people would see you and say, well, that boy works for a living. He earned it all. He earned that money. And that's what we we're talking about. When you look at these people, when you say that they didn't earn about half of what they got, and that's the thing that pisses people off. And then you look at January 6th, what the reason they responded so um harshly against everybody January 6th is because that 95% you're talking about finally realized that we're old to them. And I'll tell you this, I've noticed about rich people. Rich people tend to be pretty smart about what they made their money in. But I'll say this, generally speaking, the majority of very wealthy people I thought to, other than their ability to make money, are stupid. And I don't think Donald Trump is that damn smart, kid. You ought to know the truth. I just don't think he's that, that sharp of a knife. And a lot of times the stuff he says, I'm not talking about the outrageous stuff. I'm talking about when he's trying to say something serious to make a point. And I'll tell you, you know, that's not the most intelligent way to nag or phrase that. The heck, if I can see it, somebody else ought to also. But, you know, uh, another thing, this is totally off subject, but it makes me wonder. I was reading that Zuckerberg had bought a bunch of land in Hawaii and is basically basically making his old preservation bunker stuff, his old ecosystem. He's going to make a place. It's acres and acres, like like 5,000 or 6,000 square feet underground, a bunker, security wall, all kind of stuff. So he and whoever he brings over there can be self-sustained unlimitedly. And he's got like some big bunker and all that. And then you got to what you got to know Zuckerberg's the enemy. So why is the enemy doing something like that? Have you heard about that kid? I have. I just wonder what your 
Thank you. What's your best? Well, I mean, no, thank you, Breeze. Appreciate it. Let, let's stay here for a second. So, one of the most powerful emotions in the history of mankind is finding a boogeyman, right? See, I believe that there's a scene, is it the, is the movie Wise Guys, when one of the mob bosses tells one of the younger mob boss, I mean, he's kind of a, uh, he's a made man, he gets to be a made man, and they show up at a party, and his girlfriend's got a fur coat, and they give out a new car and all this stuff, and he throws the fur coat in the trash, and says, I told you, damn it, don't, I mean, there's people, they'll get on to you. I mean, if you start, you know, driving nice cars, buying big houses, for a long time, wealth was a little bit embarrassed by their wealth. If the DuPonts had a, a couple of jets, you had to find out. And all of a sudden, for some reason, and I have no idea, now this is my theory, all of a sudden Davos, Davos becomes prominent. What is Davos? Well, I mean, Davos is where all those jet setters get together every year and discuss the realities of the world, energy and debt and government and policy and business and, you know, right-wingers and left-wingers and climate change and all this. And I believe that Davos gave us, and I'm talking about me, Breeze, Josh, Rev, it gave us kind of a boogeyman. And we, we've always had the haves and have-nots. We're about to celebrate Christmas. I mean, did they nail a Roman or a Jew to the cross? Jew. That's right. I mean, we, I mean the history is littered with haves and have-nots. I mean, the Gilded Age, Renaissance, I mean, you know, uh, uh, dynasties, I mean, the, the, the British Empire. I mean, we've always had, but, but th there's no example in human history. And I'm not an historian, but I know I'm right about this. There's no example in human history of a nation that allows a smaller and smaller percentage to control a larger and larger share of that nation's wealth that it ends well. I mean, the powerless at some point in time have had enough. January 6th is kind of a precursor to some of the chaos that I think will ensue, whether Trump wins or not. And, and, and I think about it a lot. Um, if I'm running Davos, you know who knows about it? Nobody. Nobody. But, but all of a sudden, Davos became, somebody got full of themselves, and it might have been Schwab, or it might have been, you know, one of these um, diplomatic international leaders that says, you know, we get together, the biggest, bettest, and brightest. I mean, we all get together, and we decide what goes and what doesn't go in the world that we all try to inhabit in the long run. And I think Davos gave us kind of a boogeyman. And then Trump gave, up, gave us kind of a crusader. A Robin Hood, a Pied Piper. I don't know how smart Trump is. I mean, Breeze is onto something. And I know many people, guys, that, that have made enormous amounts of money and would probably score about average on the IQ. I mean, you know people like that, Rev. I mean, I, I, I know many, many, many people that would be maybe a little better than average. I mean, they're persistent, they're hardworking, they're diligent, they're fearless. You know, the one thing, and, and I've heard other people talk about Trump this way. People that don't like Trump. And I'll say, well, give me something good about Trump. You, I mean, I understand you don't like him. You don't want to be president. Wish he'd leave. Um, and and they'll, they'll always say, the majority will say, I mean, the future belongs to the bold. I mean, he's damn sure bold. I mean, you, you, can, you, can, you can say smart, dumb, you know, uh, conservative, liberal, inconsistent, a flip-flop. But, but, I mean, he's, he's demonstrated the willingness to be pretty bold. And, um, and the future does belong to the bold. But I think Davos... And I know that's kind of a weird, I just believe Davos was a um, kind of a boogeyman personified. We could, I, okay, that's the people I don't like.
That's the people that have fleeced this world. That's the people that have gained far more than they deserve. And like Bree says, nobody's opposed to people getting wealthy if you worked for it, if you earned it. But when you start fleecing a government to gain a larger share of wealth and notoriety and fame and influence, and I just think I, I think people eventually have enough. History shows us that. When a smaller percentage gain a larger share of the wealth, here come the pitchforks. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937. Couple of callers on the phone. Let's go there. Mike in Darlington. Good morning. All right. Good morning. Uh, Ken, on uh, your other earlier uh, conversation about uh, building a better road system down there for the south side of the beach, uh, they wouldn't have any problem because I I went out there to Mount Pleasant uh, a couple of weeks ago to see my nephew, and uh, they're, they're, they're filling in those uh, salt marshes as quick as they can. They're, they're loading them up with dirt, and uh, I don't know. They don't care about the Carolina guppy or the Charleston crackshell crab or whatever is out there. They're, they're just filling in those salt marshes. And uh, that's where all the shrimp start out their life. And uh, without shrimp, no other uh, fish does real well. But uh, that uh, you you kept talking about the uh, uh, if if you could get those guys from Charleston on that, I think you'd have that roadway system fixed real quick. But uh, they're they're not going to do that right now. There's another plan, but these people, they could care less about people like me or Williams, and Williams doesn't realize it, but they don't care about him either. And they, they're, they're just at, they are concerned about one thing. They get the check in the mail every month or every couple of weeks and for doing practically nothing and that they're riding off the back of everybody else. And these are people that uh, inflation, they can deal with it because they have investment vehicles that uh, will protect them from that. They have uh, real uh, possessions that uh, make it possible for them to make money in all kinds of environment. And uh, I don't, I don't see where they're they're gonna help anybody except themselves. They just want to help themselves. But as far as uh, Trump getting out there, he needs to – that was a terrible thing, the six. When I saw it on television, I said, this is going to be a nightmare for years to come. And sure enough, it is. But they've got to realize that that is an anomaly. It was a setup. The whole thing was a setup. And I don't know how you convince a lot of these Netflix watchers – that it was a, a setup. That is the challenge that's facing the uh, America First people today. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it. If Trump does not win in 2024, it will be because of January 6th. I mean, it's it's emblazoned in people's mind. I mean, there's a certain audience out there who will always what is the old saying? You don't get a second chance to make the first impression. I mean, that was an initial narrative. And most people bought it. Now, now I'm with Josh, and I'm with Vivek Ramaswamy, and I think the Republican primary voter, what I'll call the high-information voter, I think they believe that it was somewhat of an inside job. I mean, I don't think, I don't think anybody will condone everything 
that, quote, unquote, our side did. I mean, it, you know, I, I'm a little bit like like Mike. When I saw the optic, I'm like, wow, this is bad. I mean, this is real bad. Um, now, now, once again, after further review, it does seem to me that the uh, the speaker's office, the Capital City Police, uh, maybe the FBI, I mean, they aided and assisted the efforts. They saw a chance to score some political points. Um, but you've got to figure out a way to sell your side of the story to independent voters in certain um, swing states. Once again, Ramaswamy said, you know, what he said on the debate stage and CNN, that he thinks it was an inside job. But Ramaswamy's at 10% in a Republican primary. You can't say that to independent voters. I mean, I think you can make that a part of the question you ask. It's a little bit like, well, I mean, you know, some of these people didn't believe the elections. Some of these people didn't believe that the question had been answered about the 2020 election, and they unfortunately, you know, exhibited bad behavior. But we still believe there were some infiltrators uh, from the government as part of that. I mean, there, there's a way to couch the answer. I just think we better be prepared. And I think if Trump says, you know, the election was stolen and it was not an insurrection, you, you got to do a little better than that. And that's why I've got January 6th first on the list of what America First must figure out a way to address that issue in a moderate, pragmatic, and understandable way. Not defending it. I think you get in trouble defending it in a general. I think you could defend it, Josh, in a primary. I don't think you can defend it. I think you need to apologize for it. Josh doesn't like that because he thinks he's being disingenuous. He doesn't want to apologize because he doesn't think he owes anybody an apology for what happened. But do you want to win or not? I do. Let's go to the phone. Bob in Florence. Hey, Bob. Hey, good morning, guys. Hey, uh, Ken, a couple of things, one of local interest and one of national interest. Of local interest yesterday on the way back from the beach in the middle of the rainstorm coming down Highway 22, just a warning to everybody, don't buy a house off of Highway 22 <laughs> because that new subdivision they built uh, between uh, Highway, uh, was it 90 and 701, underwater, underwater. How would you like to have bought a new house in there? and paid $350,000 for it. You know, you Bob, Bob I, in my time in politics, I, I was in Columbia when, well, I mean, they were already having a lot of growth, but it really started accelerating. And they, they, they some of those House members wanted moratoriums on building. I mean, they, they just believe that there is no way to properly address stormwater drainage and some of the issues. And, I mean, but the saltwater cowboys were building houses everywhere they could find an acre and, and knock a tree down. I've said it, and I'll say it again. The two things I'm glad I'm not is a chicken at Tyson Food or a tree in Horry County because your lifespan isn't long. You, you, you got that right. And uh, if you build a house in that country down there, you better have it up on 12 feet or higher uh, because you're not going to make it. Uh, the other thing of national interest, I just want to tell everybody, you know, quit hating on Trump. Um, I just got through watching a, a biography uh, uh, on the Andrew Jackson. It was filmed back in the 1990s. And uh, uh, you think about it. Andrew Jackson, when he took office, the guy had two bullets in him. He, 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 somebody had sass-mouthed his wife, and he had challenged him to a duel, and they shot first and shot him in the chest. Well, <laughs> he, took the, he took it, and then he, he tried to shoot the other, other person, and his, his, his uh, flintlock pistol misfired. So he paused and, and recharged it and then killed the guy. 
<laughs> I mean, this guy was tough. So uh, uh, Trump's got nothing on Andrew Jackson. So quit hating on Andrew. Uh, quit hating on Trump. That's all I say. Good deal. Thank you, Bob. <laughs> Appreciate that. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven is our number. We'll take a break. Uh, Saltwater Cowboys. Yeah, they'll build a house anywhere you could imagine. Uh, I got a story relating to that. We may tell that before the end. Before the end of the day, take a break. Back in a few. Text Mondays to make Fridays, 843-661-0937. We are in the short rows, officially in the short rows, trying to make sure these six anonymous families have a Christmas that they deserve. Um, They're not expecting this sort of Christmas, but if you guys will help us, we can be successful. The, uh, The youth mentors of the PD, the Boys and Girls Club of the PD, have identified six anonymous families, Rev and I, Took it upon ourselves because we're such genuinely, sincerely, <laughs> passionately giving souls. <laughs> right, Josh? That's right. Right, Josh? Yeah. I mean, it's all about the other person <laughs> yeah. when it comes to, to the Royal Rev and I. Never about ourselves. <laughs> but we're paying You're tribute right. to someone who genuinely, sincerely, I'm being a bit sarcastic, yeah. not at all. I noticed. <laughs> when I talk about Mr. Frank Avant, um, one of the most generous people I've ever known in all of my life. He passed away. We wanted to pay a tribute or respect um, in his legacy. So we reached out to Pepsi of Florence. They agreed to be a big part of this. They are actually our partners in this season of giving. Um, Swap Payment Solutions have stepped on board and helped and aided and assisted. Anderson Brothers Bank, Walk Up Electrical, uh, Hubs Farmland, Trinity Auto Glass, all those local businesses are helping us successfully raise the money, but it's a week out. I mean, it's a week officially from Christmas, and we need to raise some more money. So I'm asking our listeners, this family that we're all a part of, whether you want to be or not, you can't choose your kin people, but when you kind of decided to be a part of this family, well, you know, you can't choose to divorce. I mean, you're stuck with us, and we're stuck with you, but let's help these six families have a Christmas they never imagined they were going um, to have, you can do that by making a donation. Look, I know it's inflationary. I understand. I mean, we got all these eggheads talking about economic indicators. The affordability of the economy is all that matters. I mean, really and truly, um, when you go out and eat, Rev was talking about going to the beach this weekend and what it costs to go out and eat. I, um, I was out yesterday and wow, really, it can't be that much, but it is. So when the eggheads talk about economic indicators, tune out. When we start talking about the affordability, of, and I understand that. I certainly am respectful of that. Five bucks, 10 bucks, 20 bucks, 100 bucks, whatever your number is, know that you will be, you know, contributing to what we're trying to do here, and that is raise money for these six families. Rev can tell you about and it's on us to begin with. I mean, we were slow out of the blocks, and a lot of the reason was a glitch in some of the software. Um, it must have been that day I was off and didn't take care of all the functioning software, because I'm normally the oh, guy yeah. they they turn to when we have computer problems or programming issues or software malfunctions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I mean, I'm mm-hmm. always that guy that they come running to, right, Josh? That's right. Yeah. yeah, and, yeah well, and what was the exact issue? And again? then I, I don't make eye contact. I mean, yeah. I kind of <laughs> act like I don't see those guys when they're <laughs> when they're heading my way. But we had a malfunction to begin with, and the website didn't work as we needed it to. We believe that some of you went on to make a contribution 
saw the website not working, moved on. I get it. I understand yeah. it. We're asking you to come back. We've got it fixed. We got it fully functioning, and we need to raise some more money to make sure we're able to provide these six families. Or now, let me back up. That you are helping us provide these six families a Christmas they never ever imagined. How can they make a donation, Rev? We fixed the linking issue and made a URL, so you just type it into your browser address bar. It takes you right there. It's PepsiSeasonOfGiving.com, PepsiSeasonOfGiving.com, and you just put your donation information right into that page. And before, the issue you're talking about was a link that sometimes worked and sometimes gave you the frowny face and wouldn't work. So now the direct website address will take you to the donation page, Pepsi seasonofgiving.com good deal 843-661-0937 rev and i both had a senior moment i mean <laughs> we, we put our business on the street right. so when we're coming back from the break i said rev i was talking about what was i talking about i said i was going to continue yeah. the story and he said i can't remember yeah. but it was kind of interesting Yeah, right before the top of the yeah. hour you said i gotta take a quick break but i'll do that when we came back and <laughs> we tried to yeah. recollect our thoughts Josh, you're younger. What were we talking about? You remember? It had something to do with an otter. No, it did not. <laughs> Different story. <laughs> Different no, it story. It did not have anything one, to do though. with the otter. Um, <laughs> we've given Josh fair warning that there's an uh, an otter story. I'll tell you this. I did look one day last week. There's a National Zebra Day, and maybe we say the zebra story, which is 100% true for Zebra Day, and the otter story, I think there's a National Otter Day, and we could tell the otter story Um it's just, I mean, it's where I come from, Josh. I mean, it's small town USA. It's rural America. It's, um, it's just, it's a, it's a way of life that I think reflects Americana better than any other way of life. And if we're not careful, and I think Josh would agree to this, uh, you're a young guy, but, but I think you would agree that rural America has been a, a very important part of Americana, American history, the values, the, the precepts, the, um, you know the uh, I'm getting tired. The dispositions of rural America are critically important, and it is beginning to die uh, or go by the wayside. And when I said something earlier, it's not that I believe. I mean, every generation believes that this is new. You know, we've never seen this before. We've never gone through through this before. The one thing I'll say that I think is fundamentally different today about the news and and the administrative state and in government is that. When someone graduates, and we've done all these, I mean, guys, I've read more about this than you care to imagine, and I would never intentionally mislead. I may be wrong, but I would never intentionally mislead you about anything. The stats that I read have convinced me, Josh, that people around your age, roughly your age, are leaving some of these prestigious universities and going straight to work at a, a media outlet or a government agency, and they've never been around people who fundamentally see the world differently than they do. They've been very insulated. They have been a bit affluent. I didn't say filthy rich, but they've been a bit affluent. They've gone to private schools and boarding schools, and, and next thing you know, they get accepted to a you know a prestigious university. That They get that, uh, I guess that's the... Um, the the de facto credential that gets them in the door so CNN will give them an interview, NBC, ABC, CBS, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, you know, um, Washington Post, some of those, those significant media outlets in America, what I call legacy media. I mean, if I knock on the door and say, hey, I want to get an interview here, and I got a degree from Francis Marion Coastal, 
you know, Carolina Clemson, um, it just doesn't carry the weight. It just doesn't, it doesn't, and it doesn't, it doesn't get me down the line far enough for them to consider whether, in other words, if I'm a, I mean, I think Clemson and Carolina are probably a little bit different. I mean, they've got some some notoriety and prestige. I mean, I, I know this. Um, I mean, the Darla Moore School of Business is a very well-regarded um, school of business. Clemson has an engineering school that I think is highly, highly regarded, but it's not elite. It's not, it's not Ivy League. And I think there's, a, once again, I think the precept, the perception of the Ivy League school, but I do believe that we're in an era where so many people make significant decisions for the government and the media who have never been to Johnsonville or Hemingway or Pamplico or Darlington or Lamar or, or some of these other cities where you learn a lot of different sorts of, of lessons. I mean, the, you develop a skill set that, um, I mean, it's really survivability is what it boils down to. You know, how, how can I survive? How can I get you know, to the, to the next day and the next week and the next month. And I think those are great skills. And I, and I believe that we, we've gotten to a point now. Here's the point I want to make. I think the people that went to Harvard 100 years ago were the best and brightest. I think it's mainly the great-grandkid. And I'm not sure they're the best and brightest. But they still have this entitlement. A little bit of nepotism. Well, I mean, big time. I mean, you know where I'm headed. I mean, I, I do believe some of these elite universities at one point in time I mean, they, they were the places that the best and brightest went. I mean, if you were exceptional academically or intellectually, you went to one of those places and you excelled. And I think now um, the the fourth generation is, is about average. And it goes back to Tucker Carlson. I think Tucker makes a very, very interesting point. We're, we're all hierarchical, aren't we? I mean, we, we all kind of want, I mean, dogs are, cats are, people are. I mean, we all want the best and brightest leading the way. But we wanted to be competent, don't we? And I think we've equated, you know, the great, great, great grandson of the person who earned their way to Harvard, earned their way to Yale, earned their way to UPN, earned their way to Princeton. And they excelled and they built a business because they were smarter and, and more competent, more diligent. And all of a sudden, the great, great, great grandkid has that same slot at that same university. And we expect them to be as persevering as excellent, as smart, as competent, as capable? No. And I, and I think those people have this sense of entitlement. You know, um, I went to Harvard, therefore I'm more entitled than you are to give commentary on the economy, on the country. And I think we've created this monolith, and I think it's terribly, terribly bad for the nation. If it were the great, great, great grandfather, have at it. I mean, th- those would be the guys I want making the calls. I mean, they've exhibited they're a little more intelligent than most. They're probably a little harder working than most, a little more persistent than most. Have at it. I mean, you got guys gather in the room and make some decisions, and we'll all follow your lead. But now I, th- I think we've got it so distorted, so watered down. A-, a degree from Harvard 60 or 70 years ago just ain't the same as a degree from Harvard today. But that degree from Harvard still gets you in the door at the State Department. It still gets you in the door at DOJ. It still gets you in the door at CNN or the New York Times or the Washington Post. Diminished quality, but not diminished influence. And I think that's why we find ourselves, you know, just kind of um, scratching our ass and wondering how we went so downhill so fast. I think there's a large 
I think that the prestigious elite universities have contributed to the decline of America as much as one single apparatus in our country's existence. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Sam in Cross Hill. Good morning, Sam. You're on the air. Uh, good morning, fellas. I uh, wish you all a Merry Christmas uh, as we head that way. Uh, Ken, I will tell you, as you start your next trip around the sun today, I can tell you it's not going to be a boring ride from what I can see. So happy birthday to you. And to Charles, Charles, I sympathize with you, send sympathies your way. Uh, my wife and I, we've uh, lost seven of our good good dear children i would call them over our years together and uh i know what you're going through it's very difficult ken and you started with talking about january 6 COVID, and the january 20th election we cannot let the major media let those three things be the focus uh what i'm hearing is everybody's concerned about the loss of our democracy the democrats are and the republicans are and of course we know why the republicans feel that way and so what we've got to do going into the major election is not let the major media control the narrative. And what we've got to do is ask the simple question, are you better off today than you were during the Trump administration? Um, I don't think the answer to that is obvious. And so what we've got to do is make sure that those people that watch Netflix and Seinfeld really understand uh, uh, the, the situation that we're in. And, you know, we're losing our democracy day by day with, through the regulatory state. And uh, I, I just think the, we've got to have a, a major sales job uh, or an information job to let, let the people know what has really happened over these last four years. And uh, that's what I think. Thank so you, Sam. You guys have a good day. Well, I pr- appreciate that. Thank you a lot. Appreciate that. And yeah, Charles lost his dog named Clemson. We're thinking about getting him another name in Carolina. Um, I mean, dogs are going to die, right? I mean, that, that's just, I don't, this would be interesting for our listeners. What did Sam say? Six dogs or seven dogs seven, that have come and gone. Um, my son, my oldest son's gotten real close to a couple of dogs, extremely close to a couple of dogs. And he's gone through some tough, well, you know, the story, I mean, the, the addiction and whatnot. And, um, I mean, those dogs went through all that with him. I mean, they knew more than his mom and I knew about his situation and circumstance. And I just found it interesting when Charles put on Facebook, that he stayed with his dog until the very end. Because I've heard stories of people who say, I just could not watch the vet put my dog down. And the vets have led me to believe that you need to be there. That dog is ultimately comforted until the end. The person he trusts more than anybody in this world can't bail on him when it's, um, and I, and I guess Rev, we're talking about giving and taking, you know, um, a giver, <laughs> I'm going to get too accusatory if I do that. Let's leave that alone. Um, take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937 is our number. Talking about what? <laughs> I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of laughing because, sorry to interrupt, of course, uh, but you and I both are the same as far as when we have birthdays, we kind of like to keep it on the down low. I mean, I, I took my birthday off Facebook years ago and try to keep it on the down low and somebody inevitably finds out and it, it makes its way on the show. And this morning, first thing Charles called and, uh, wished you a happy birthday today. So it's out there. We've had some other callers, obviously followed up and you're getting posts all over your Facebook page as well. And then the look on your face when, when people do that is just kind of like, really? But it is your birthday today. I remember, by the way, it was 10 years ago today on your 50th, right? That, that, you, well, okay, thanks, Rev. You just told everybody I'm, 
an well, old man. Well, no, you well, you just kind of did. I, I did, but it's... Even the folks in Pamplico can add 50 and 10. <laughs> I know, but you have talked Josh, about it before. Josh, what's 50 plus 10? 60. Okay, there you go. Yeah. Thank you, Rip. Yeah, well, you've mentioned the big birthday coming up. You've yeah. said that in the past several weeks, as Thank a matter you. of fact. But you're welcome. But on your, your 50th, we had planned a uh, a bit of a surprise for you on the radio. So this show is old enough that we celebrated your 50th birthday on the air. How many years ago, Rev? It was 10 years yeah, ago. 10 years yeah, ago, John. I know, I know the math. I did the math. Okay. Anyway, this is a big birthday. <laughs> but I remember that day when, when your friends, because we'd lined up some Friends and acquaintances and people from your life to come Without here. Without my knowing about it. Right. And you didn't like that one bit. Well, I mean, I'm not in charge. I'm not. A, that's why I don't ride roller coasters. <laughs> Is that it? I don't like reefer-smoking gypsies putting things together <laughs> to go Mach 9. All right. <laughs> and, and me not have a steering wheel in my hand. Yeah. I mean, that, there's right. a, that, that's, a, uh, that's a funkiness about my existence. Yeah. Um, you, you go to the fair. You smell weed. There's some gypsy that puts something together. He may have tied the boat up or he may not have. <laughs> But let, let's exert about nine G's and run about, you know, 800 miles an hour and have fun. I mean, let's mm-hmm. have fun. Um, YouTube has shown that it doesn't always end in fun. Um, no, in, in all honesty, this has been uh, complicated for me. And I don't, you know, when, when you guys did that, I was very appreciative. I, I just don't tend to show my appreciation as well as I probably um, sh- should. But both my parents died at 63. And 60's freaking me out a bit. I mean, it, it is. I mean, I think I'm fine, man. I mean, I think I'm going to live another, Josh, 50 years. Um, you can't get this chair for 50 years. And you can't leave and go to a bigger market because I won't have taught you everything about talk radio then because I'm so trained and professional at this. I think Josh's parents are like, get out of there as soon as you can. Get out of there as soon as you can. We'll help you, son, find a better and uh, and, and more normal way of doing, of doing things. But, no, I mean, th- this has been – Birthdays don't freak me out. I blow past them. I don't talk about them. But but I've had to really contemplate, you know, turning 60. I, I don't know why, but it's been Saturday morning. I mean, I, I'll, I'll, I'll let you. It, it was very melancholy for me. I mean, it, it really was. It was just like, wow, man. I mean, where did, I mean, you remember what, 50 years of the 60? I mean, the first, uh, I don't know, the first 10 years is, is the flying monkeys on the Wizard of Oz every year and you. You know, you wonder whether they're fake or not. Your mama confirms they are fake and everything's good to go. And But once you get 10, you begin to develop these little traits and characteristics about who you are and what you're – and then you get to another place in your life and you begin to yearn and, and become curious. But there's a point in all of our lives when we start considering our mortality. I mean, you really do, and you wonder. I mean, I'm, I don't – I mean, the average life expectancy is 79.8, whatever, 80. So I got 20 more if I'm average. I think I'm superhuman, so I got another probably 35 or 40. Um, but no, I mean, it, it, you know, certain birthdays create certain emotions, and this has been a very weird, <laughs> a weird emotion uh, for me because, once again, my peers died. Uh, and I'm thinking about, okay, I'm 60, but my mom and dad died at 63. That's just too funky for me. Too funky for me to consider and contemplate. That's why I drank a lot before I came um, this morning. In other words, you know, you don't think as clearly when you're when you're boozed up. That's the smell you smell oh. over the air. No, but a lot of people have been very kind and considerate and supportive, and um, and I and I thank you for that. I, I really and truly do thank you. And then people that have turned um, sixty, they kind of know 
you know how you feel. Um, the only thing that bothered me about the 50 is I didn't know anything about it. You know, and then once again, I like to kind of sort of be in, in charge or in control and I had no, no in charge or control. That, that was the one show where you didn't really talk very much. You just kind of uh, sat you, there. You caught you me your, real off guard. You had your arms well, folded. Now, to to, to begin kinda... with, you, you, I mean, I had a really good friend in the banking and finance business, and my boys were at the age. I mean, I just got run out of office. My boys were at the age that they didn't always meet curfew, if you know what I mean. I mean, they didn't always do exactly what they were told. I mean, they're angels now. They do exactly what they're told. But back then, you know, they, they were a bit rambunctious. So my friend, Rev had, I mean, you guys had lined it up, and my, my friend shows up and looks in the glass. And I'm thinking to myself, why is he here? And the first thing that came to mind is one of my boys had done something real stupid, and he's here to tell me not to kill him, you know what I mean, to be, to be considerate and be measured and then be have the right temperament when you, when you deal with that. But um, that's what I remember uh, about that. But uh, thank you, and I mean that sincerely. Thank you to anybody out there. Who has wished or will wish? Yeah, see, I'm getting some other here now. Uh, anyway, um, <laughs> anyway, people are um, very nice. Yeah, right? yeah. I'll, I'll tell you what I'm most proud of. You ready? I got up at 3:45 and drove from the beach to be here <laughs> on time to do a show on your birthday. Well, oh, oh, that's right. I mean, that, well, you that's know, dedication. Well, that, that's kind of a tribute because, <laughs> like I've told you, my parents weren't real complicated people. I mean, they, they probably were in their own weird way. But the one thing they were adamant about, Josh, and I want you to remember this because I think you're parents share this my parents made their minds up very early in my brother and sister in our lives we're going to be independent and, and productive we may goof up we may run the train off the track we may come home to we may do a lot of dumb stuff in our you know growing up years but we're going to be productive and we're going to be independent and uh and i've tried to instill that in in my three kids um my daughter this is kind of interesting rev she had a final exam at the Darlemore School, some statistics or finance class, four o'clock Saturday afternoon. I mean, that, Saturday. You know, Saturday afternoon at four o'clock. And I told my daughter, I said, I, something crazy inside me says maybe they're doing that to convince business students that the world doesn't center around you. You know, when, when, when business has to be done and things have to be taken care of, it may be Saturday afternoon at four o'clock. When the, when the, when your, your university's basketball team is playing a basketball game, you know, just across the street, it's, it's not all fun and guy. I'm not saying they did it by design, but something about me thinks that maybe, you know, I mean, that, 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 that business school is probably, uh, would you agree to this? It's probably the most noted academic program at USC. I mean, the Darlemore school of yeah. business is renowned and, and acclaimed and the international school of business, I think is number one in America nearly every year, but the business school in general has a very, um, a very good reputation. So, so, you know, the, um, the final exam at four o'clock on a Saturday afternoon, <laughs> I think there's some beauty in that. Like, uh, okay, you business students, you, you want to make money and run the world. Your, your exam will be at four o'clock Saturday afternoon before Christmas. <laughs> and it was like a desert. She said the whole university was like a, uh, was like a desert. 843-661-0937 is our number. We'll be back in a few. Josh, let me ask you to do something I know you don't want to do. Uh-oh. You're in charge of the campaign to beat Donald Trump. You're running the biggest Democrat political action committee on the planet. And your job is to convince independent voters 
in the said in several states to vote for Joe Biden or whomever and not Donald Trump. What strategy do you employ? I mean, put in other words, what I've always tried to do in my business life is put myself in the other man's shoes. Why would I do this deal or why would I not? I mean, it's obvious to me, but I can be very blinded by my wanting to do a deal. I mean, this is going to be good for me and my partners. And we're trying to buy something or sell something or negotiate something. But why would it be good for him? So I've always tried to almost put myself, okay, I'm walking in the other man's shoes. Is that a fair price? Is that a fair timeline? Or those fair facts? Am I being too one-sided? Am I being too, uh, creating too rosy a scenario? Am I being too doom and gloom? So, so in every business transaction, I guess over the last 25 years, I take a period of time and say, okay, I'm the other guy. Why do I do this or why not? Do that on the, on the Trump committee. I mean, on the Trump campaign. Um, it's easy for you to say, here's how I defend January 6th. Here's, a, here's what I'd say about COVID. Here's what I'd say about, you know, wasn't life better before, wasn't life better for most Americans before COVID hit. But, but if you're trying to beat Trump, what, what do you highlight? What do you focus on? What messaging do you deliver? Because you got Republicans, and guess what? They're going to vote for the Republican, by and large. You got Democrats. They're going to vote for the, for the Democrat. But I'm talking about the 125,000 people we've talked about this morning that are kind of unsettled. I mean, they, they've not made their minds up and won't they make their minds up until after the summer of next year. How do you take Trump down, Josh? So I would probably focus on... Uh, doing a campaign illustrating how radical he will probably be. So, you know, like like he said, he's going to be a dictator day one. That uh, I would highlight how he was trying to be moderate in his first term. Basically, what I would do is kind of throw some fellow Democrats over the bus and say they doubled down on some messages that turned out to be wrong, like Russiagate. You got to kind of give a little to get a little. So compromise on that and say, look, they were wrong about this, but this, but this was Trump trying to play both sides. This was Trump trying to, to give a little, um, but now he's been overthrown. He wants to come back. He said he's going to be a dictator day one. He said he's going to fire the bureaucracy. This is, this is bad for the democracy. This, that's how I would play it if he I is, were a Democrat. He is, he is truly a legitimate threat to our democracy. Yes. I mean, that, that would be the storyline. And they've started that, by the way, right? Okay. Do you agree with that, Ref? I mean, is that the way you'd go after Trump? I, I, yeah, I don't know if that's his biggest vulnerability. I think. What do you think his biggest vulnerability is? Oh, it's, it's probably, it is probably January 6th. I think just when, and, and again, we, 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 we know what we think about January 6th. It was not an insurrection, but they've, they have sold it Is as an January insurrection. January 6th and the 2016, excuse me, the 2020 election, one, I mean, we know they're correlated. I mean, we know that they're linked to one another, but are they one of the same? I mean, if, if you're Trump, see, if I'm Trump, I come up with a narrative that, that explains where I stand on the 2020 election and January 6th. I let one kind of address both. And if somebody says, well, let's talk about January 6th now, I'm going like, no, I just did. I mean, I've already done that. I'm not going to be repetitive. You're not going to back me in that corner and make sure, you know, that I make a mistake trying to explain myself. Here's what we found out about the 2020 election that was never fully investigated. You know, not only do I believe it, the majority of Americans believe that there were things that happened. I think he's got to stay away from the word stolen. I've been told by very reliable sources 
that Trump has quality people giving him advice and he's listening. I mean, these are people far well, more in the know than I am are telling me. Um, I'm, I'm like, because I mean, I reached out to you, heard one of the conversations off the air a couple of uh, Fridays ago when I said, hey, it seems to me that he's got better people around him. And the guy said, much better than last time. I mean, much better than in 2020. And then I, it seems to me that he's listening. And now, now he's good about listening nine out of 10 times. And that 10th one, he just, you know, does his own thing, dances to the beat of his own drum and, you know, walks to the beat of his own, whatever. Well, dance to his own music, walk to the beat of his own, of his own drum. And he can kind of destroy the goodwill he gains by Trump has to decide how measured he wants to be. And, and to what degree he's willing to not say the election was stolen. I mean, if I'm sitting with Trump and he's paying me a lot of money to give him advice, I'd lay polling out because he's a numbers guy. I mean, I know that to be true. I mean, he, he trusts some of the data, some of the, some of the numbers. Now, I would imagine people say, well, yeah, but I mean, he believes in some of the better numbers. Well, who doesn't? I mean, really, I mean, if, if, you've got a, if you've got a pollster that says you're up three and a pollster that says you're up seven, I mean, what pollster do you want to be in the room with? You want to be with the poll? I mean, that, that's human nature. That's not, Trump's not, ex- that's not exclusive to, to Donald Trump. But, but I think he's got to come up with a kind of, kind of a, I don't want to say a speech, but what did we say last week? The elevator spill for January 6th and the 2020 election has got to be concise. It, it's got to be pragmatic. And I think the word stolen hurts him if he says that. But he has a tendency to say it a lot. He believes the election was stolen. A lot of people do believe well, I mean, it. I, well, I mean, I don't know what percentage. The, the, the number, when you ask the question, because I've made sure I've read this. When you ask the question, do you believe certain things happen in the 2020 election that have yet to be explained? About 60% of Americans believe that. I think the words we used were statistical anomalies. And, and now, now, if you start digging deeper and say, did you know in Racine, Wisconsin, and, then, you know, senior homes, I mean, people are like, nah, man, I mean, yeah, I didn't sign up for all yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, leave, leave me alone. I don't, did, did, did things, did it appear some things happened? I mean, I heard a waterline busted. I heard they stopped counting votes. I heard they started again. And, and I mean, people can, okay, I get that. I mean, that, there's some uncertainty around that. But, but I think he's got to stay away from the word stolen and he's got to create some sort of cohesive message that links the 2020 election to the events of January 6th. Now, what's interesting to me is these issues, if we're trying to honestly assess if there's any vulnerabilities, basically, in, in the Trump campaign going well, you know forward. there are. Right, of course. But if we're honestly assessing that, the, both these issues are from the election on. So what during and about his presidency, uh, other than his They're handling— They're not going to let it be about his presidency. Because prior to COVID, I mean, things were but, going but you, well. But but you're asking you're you're asking for something to be fair. <laughs> True. And and the fair's in October. <laughs> I mean, you, th- this election's going to be about January six, COVID, and um, the twenty twenty. You know, Trump says the election was stolen. I mean, that this this election is not going to be about GDP and and taxes and and all these other sorts of. It's going to be about the the media is going to force Trump. And America first to debate these issues that are very much, I mean, they're not tailwinds. You can't take the 2020 election and say, hey, when Trump's talking about that, he's winning. He's got to be clear and concise and exact about where he stands on, on what 
happened in the, in the 2020 presidential election and why January 6th was not a violent insurrection. Because that's what the media is going to force the, the voters to decide based upon. And they've been on that narrative since that day. Well, and they're not going to get 6th. off. I mean, that, that's where they believe their most fertile ground is in beating Donald Trump. Take a break. Back in a few moments. 843-661-0937 is our number. Why are we going where no one wants to go? Should it be going to where no one dares to go, Josh? Should it be going nowhere? That, no, I mean, uh, that I mean, one predates me. An exhibition of our bravery, not our stupidity. <laughs> I mean, shouldn't we celebrate or at least mislead people into believing we're brave and not stupid? <laughs> yeah, mislead people. Well, I mean, we're doing that anyway. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's kind of we a should, given. Yeah. I mean, this whole shtick <laughs> is misleading people into believing <laughs> You know, the, the, the things that we stand for are the only things uh, to stand for. So certainly we're misleading people. Um, are we effectively misleading people? That would be that would be the important question. Right? Are, we, are we misleading people to think we're interesting? Well, I mean, we've convinced ourselves. Yeah. I don't know if we've convinced yeah, yeah, anybody, we, anybody else. We, um, we entertain ourselves, and that's what's important. So. I, I would like this. I mean, this matters to me. So, so Josh and I have had some discussions recently about show content, direction, format. Um, I mean, he was given very, um, very good orders to kind of keep me back. <laughs> I mean, he was really told by, by, by superiors to, hey, let's take the breaks when the breaks are supposed to be, not when Ken chooses to take the breaks. Because if he, I mean, if he gets rolling, we won't take any breaks. So Josh has done a fabulous job of that. But we've talked a little about content, our content, and style and formatics and all these these other sorts of things. Josh, you've done it both ways. I mean, you've worked at a radio station with a radio show that was very organized and rehearsed and orchestrated. And then with, you with professional hosts. And, and, and then you worked with us. <laughs> Which do you prefer? Uh, I'll be honest. They both have their advantages and disadvantages. Okay. Explain that. So here I kind of like that the breaks are a little floating. We don't we don't go to live uh, newscasts, live weather reports. They're they're pre-recorded and come from affiliates. But at the other places I've worked, they didn't have. Um, I don't know what the exact word for it is, Rev. But Sumter and Orangeburg, there are like our affiliate stations. So the breaks have to be like perfectly timed out. Mm-hmm. And we actually had this issue early on where I hadn't worked in a place like that before. So. One of our breaks was a little short. I added a spot in, and and Rev was like, "Well, don't do that. That's like 15 seconds of <laughs> of dead air that the other won't have." Or you know, so yeah, so yeah, that has to was be time little... to. This is the, we're running this in what we call network mode. So yes. we have you know the 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 lead station and then the other stations, and everybody takes their own breaks at the same time. So all the breaks have to be. This is a little inside baseball stuff, but you know, it is all the breaks have to be the same time so that they leave the show and come back to the show, and it works, hopefully, seamlessly in those cases. So go to the content and style. Do you think talk radio is more effective? I call it the drumbeat of talk radio. I mean, you've heard people call and complain about Hannity. I mean, he's getting enormously wealthy, and he probably moves the meter. There's no doubt about it. But you can listen to Hannity at 4 o'clock this afternoon or 3.30 Friday afternoon and odds are he's in a box just about this big. I mean, he, he doesn't he doesn't deviate. I mean, it's work. Rev says it's super serving a certain audience. I get that. But as somebody who's young and wants to kind of have their own show and do their own thing, do you think there's more potential in that super serving model or 
allowing it to evolve and develop and test some of the guardrails? Uh, I like being able to test the guardrails because, you know, being a young guy, it, it's easy for me to say, like, all these all these old fogies are are so concerned with how things used to be. They don't want things to change. So so I'm okay with a little bit of give and take, which is why, you know, I didn't mind the long kin decides win breaks, but other parties, other other larger parties did. Called owners. And, yeah, and their names are on my paycheck, so you got to do what you got to do. And I certainly understand that. <laughs> and I said, Josh, do what they tell you to do, not what I tell you to do. Because <laughs> I'm not signing your check, and they do, so do what they tell you to do. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. David in the PD. Good morning. Hey, good morning, Dave. Hey, good morning to uh, Ken Costanza. Oh, I'm thinking. I guess you're the Pauly's Island Marine Biologist. Uh, you were referencing on my man Costanza. Well, the 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 ocean was angry yesterday. I'll assure the you that the ocean was angry. You know, here's here's something. When you get old, you you remember things like this. Whoa, 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 whoa. When you get old, I know nothing about that, David. No, I know nothing about that. I've heard about getting old, but I know nothing about it. Well, hopefully somebody will come up to you today and tell you, hey, you get you look pretty good for a blank girl. So I get that sometimes, but. You know, our our our, our man our, our show Seinfeld, it kind of struggled for a while when it first came on, and uh, until NBC put it on Cheers, you know Cheers. I think they went beyond Cheers, and that's when they really got it. So they did well. And I was going to say something, can you you uh you say the word dog like I say dog. Somebody comment about a dog. Well, these back in the day, when you grew up in the country, these animals had a purpose, and that dog had a purpose. Uh, all these animals, the chickens and, uh, you know, pigs and this and that, and your mama and daddy, they weren't mama and daddy. They were food processors. That's why these people come up across the border in a way, and they were chefs and this and that. So when you grew up in the country, you had to do all this stuff on your own. But I'll ask you this. Did, did I'm sure you watched that Meet the Press yesterday. I didn't watch Meet the Press. I watched Stephanopoulos or Carl okay. hosting for Stephanopoulos. Let me tell you something, man. I watched, I watched Lindsey McCain. He was on Meet the Press. I hate to say that, but I think he's trying to break uh, McCain's record being on that show. And you need to watch this thing, man, because they had something where they were, they were trying to control the narrative, and you brought up these – uh, 135,000 people within these five states. But they're trying to take control of that narrative. And they had, uh, there was five women that they had from Michigan that came on the show yesterday. And I looked at them, I said, good Lord. I, and I, I've actually watched John Candy. I, I, I saw him one day. There was a woman, looked like John Candy, with uh, a mascara as far as eyebrows. And I said to myself, good Lord, is this what this has come down to? There was another lady that she said that she would vote for Biden because of her $35 diabetes medicine. And you got these other people got on. There was another uh, person on there that they, 
talk with a deeper voice than me and you. So and when Jen Saki came on, she admitted, uh, what kind of panelist is that, first of all? Think about that. So you got a panelist on your show that was Jen Saki. That was the person that was uh, – we know what she did. But anyway, uh, she said this was a transgender woman. Okay, well, I could tell by that voice that the lady had. But anyway, it, it just – you brought up so, such good conversations this morning. It's hard, man. These people, their mindset, they ain't like the old country people that we grew up with. They'll go out and – for for them kids, they'll cut that chicken up. They'll they'll cut that hog up. Whatever. Uh, we are so spoiled, and you know, you look at back in those days, there was no Amazon, there was no pizza delivery. People had to do things for themselves, and we've gotten away from that. So anyway, you have a good day. Thank you, David. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. We were talking about the otter story earlier. Um, Josh hadn't heard the otter story, heard the zebra story last week. The person central to the otter story, talking about birthdays, one of the great answers in the history of mankind was given by uh, a a black guy that worked with our our business. We, um, I mean, we started making a little money in the business, so we wanted to include, we had some real fundamental employees. I mean, employees have been in the business for a long, long time. My dad was a hard butt. You know what I mean? He didn't. I mean, he felt like I give a paycheck. That's what I owe. That's all I'm giving. I'm not, I mean, it's not my responsibility to share the profit and proceeds. I mean, he was old school. I mean, he was just old school. My brother and I decided that, you know, businesses have to evolve and adapt. And we were losing a certain quality of employee to other companies that were giving a little more benefit than we were. So anyway, we decided to come up with a um, kind of a, a benefits plan. And we went out and got one of these fancy benefits coordinators. And we set a date. And the way we did it, we didn't want to include everybody because we had a kind of a revolving door in some places. I mean, in our business, you had a core group of maybe 20 or 25 rev. And then you had the others that came and went. You know what I mean? They'd, um, I mean they, you, had, you had certain criteria and they didn't meet the criteria and you'd get rid of or either they'd leave. I mean, but you had 20 or so that were very fundamental to the business. I mean, we couldn't survive without them. So we hired a benefits coordinator, and we set a day aside, and I was in the office, had a break room, big long table kind of like this, and we'd bring one at a time. And it was during the balance of the day. You know, one came in at 10 minutes after 10. The other came in at 20 minutes after, a little bit like tea times. I mean, it would have been equivalent of, uh, what, eight minutes between at Augusta Nationals. This would have been 10 minutes. So anyway, the, the, um, the guy that is the central figure in the Otter story, walks into the room with me and the uh, benefits coordinator, and <laughs> he said, uh, I won't call his name, but he, he, was, he was a black guy that had worked with us for a long time. His brother had worked in our business for a long time. So he starts by saying, how you doing? Fine, you know, exchange pleasantries. And then he said, um, let me get your full name. And he gave him his full name, and he said, your date of birth. And he gave him his birthday, and he said, what year? And he said, hell, every year. <laughs> <laughs> it's not one day one year and another day next it's 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 september 22nd and yeah. the guy said god never looked up I had ring glass said what year hell every year <laughs> i'll never forget that as long as i look at that that guy is a central figure in the uh in the otter story and he was so funny without trying to be um funny 
But the benefits coordinator, after about a couple of minutes, was kind of like putting his forehead like, wow, God, no, I asked for that. He kind of said, that might be the most honest answer anybody's ever given me. <laughs> Hell, every year. <laughs> Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Brian in Florence. Morning, Brian. Hey, guys. Uh, you're talking about how do you reach the voter. Um, you know, traditional people, quite frankly, older people, are going to gravitate towards the traditional sources being talk radio and, and TV. But if we're really going to nail it with the young voters that are coming in, you got to be in Joe Rogan's show. You got to be on Stephen Crowder's show. There's an upcoming uh, show called Sean Ryan, which is phenomenal. You got to be the, the candidates need to get there because that's where they're going to reach the younger voter because that's what they're getting their media from. They're not getting it from the traditional sources that we do. Couldn't disagree. I mean, you're, you're nailing it. Um, I've said before, and I'll say it again. Thank you for the call. Appreciate it. I mean, if you invented a widget, I mean, if Rev invented some widget hooked to a computer that would change talk radio forever, and Rev had a uh, a package, and he could present that package to CNN, MSNBC, or the Joe Rogan podcast. I mean, where would he go? Rogan. It's no. It's a no brainer. More people I mean, you're going to reach it. millions more on the Joe Rogan podcast. And I don't know. I mean, I don't want to throw the RNC under the bus, but they seem to be still very entrenched in their belief in the traditional and customary way of reaching voters. And if you think about the issue the GOP, GOP has with young voters, what are they doing to try and reach? It's almost like they look at Twitter and Facebook and TikTok and Instagram and social media as not serious enough. It doesn't matter, guys. If a serious voter cast a ballot, Josh, how many votes does that count? One. If an unserious voter cast a ballot, how many votes does that count? One. Yeah. I mean, it's, there's not. I mean, there's no degree of seriousness. I mean, it, you talk about intensity. I mean, that leads to a higher turnout for certain, you know, certain sections or segments of of the electorate. But there is no. Hey, he really. I mean, he really wanted to vote. Let's give him two votes. Uh, she kind of sort of wanted to vote. Let's give them one half. And I think the GOP has gotten in its own way when it comes to outreach. How do we, I mean, it's almost like they've tried to make young people meet them under their grounds and terms instead of going to meet them where they are. And I think the, um, I mean, I think the America First message is very relatable to young uh, voting age Americans. Let's, um, let's go to the phone, then we'll take a break. Bruce in Sumter listening to WDXY. Good morning. Morning, guys. Hey, we're going to go back to some uh, things you talked about earlier on today uh, about all this rain that we've had. Uh, here, here's the next thing that's going to come out of Washington D.C. is that all this rain is because is caused because of climate change, and uh, you know, with with us causing all this climate change, they're going to have more rain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever they can say, whatever they want to. But the the thing I really wanted to get about was. Uh, you're talking about an animal when you help an animal cross the rainbow bridge and how it helps the animal uh, puts them at ease when you're there in the room with them. That, that's a fact. I had a German shepherd. His name is Wolf. He's 125 pounds, and we had to have him put to sleep. And both my wife and I were there in the room when the uh, vet gave him the sedative and then knocked him out. And I cried like a baby, and I will continue to cry like a baby. I mean, these, these dogs are my family. They're my kids now. And I always say to somebody that when you lose an animal such as this, go out and get another one immediately. It, 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 
you're never going to forget the animal you lost. I've, I remember all my German Shepherds that I've lost in the past. But it helps me heal, and probably more importantly, it gives another dog a, a, a loving home. And, and I am 100% for adoption. I have three rescues myself. Uh, people in Sumter here don't know my name, but they know i got German Shepherds. And one night they showed up at my house and said, did you lose one? I said, no. And they said, well, we found one. Well, that's how I ended up with shots in my third German Shepherd. So I, I, I say, you know, you're never going to forget these animals. You love them while you have them. Mine are spoiled, rotten. They, they sleep on the sleep number bed. My wife and I have maybe two inches of space on each side. But uh, go out and get another animal. And uh, Merry Christmas, you guys, and Happy New Year. And I look forward to hearing you. Uh, it's more in the new year. Thank you, sir. Appreciate that. Yeah. I've got an interesting question, and I can't answer. I mean, we have a vet or two. I, I don't want to ask them to call in, but that's unfair to them. Do dogs like to be treated like people? I mean, I've wondered that. Do dogs like to be treated like people, or would they rather be treated like a dog? Does a dog like laying on the couch all day with you, or would he rather be out and about doing things? I mean, you know, dogs aren't people, right? People aren't dogs. Does do, do, Are we doing fair or not by our dog? I'm not talking about cat. Cats are different animals. Nobody knows what a cat's thinking except cats. I mean, I'm convinced of that. <laughs> cat, cats are the most unique species that we've ever domesticated. But dogs, are we doing right by the dog and allowing it to lay on the couch with us all day Sunday and watch football? Or would the dog be happier and more content and more like a dog? If he were running around in the yard. Doing what his instincts tell him. Doing what dogs do. Yeah. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937. Our number. Someone's on the phone. Let's go there. Jam in Darlington. Hey, Jam. Morning, fellas. Um, I was just in Raleigh um, this weekend. And I spent the night with one of my best friends up there. And uh, they live in a nice little community out in Cary. You know, the houses are pretty tight against each other, not a whole lot of yard. And um, they have two big dogs. But um, the biggest dog is a female mastiff named Ellie Mae. And she is a sweet dog. But, man, she's in that house 23 out of 24 hours. And I'm not sure that's that's good for a dog that size. A dog that size has got to get out and burn energy. So that was my thought about that. Y'all have a good day. Happy birthday, Ken. Thank you, Jam. Appreciate that. Um, so, I mean, and I don't know the answer to this. And I don't know, I mean, is a vet, I mean, is a vet part animal psychologist? I mean, I, we, we have some vets listening to the show at times. Um, are we doing the dog a favor by bringing the dog into the house? I mean, we decided, because I saw Josh nod his head like, yeah, he's right about that. Earlier today, I said that instead of the kid going outside to play with the dog, we brought the dog inside to play with the kid. I mean, it just is what it is. Is it bad or good or indifferent? I, yeah, I don't know. But but obviously, I don't think it's good for the kid. I mean, I've gone so far, Josh, to say I think the problem with masculinity in America, we got too many damn young men in college and not enough on a farm. I think you learn more about the life and the world around you on a farm than you do in a classroom, I'm not saying classrooms are bad. I mean, some people will misinterpret. Very seldom do I say anything absolutist. I mean, the majority of things I say are very 
Um, uh, well, what, what, what's, I, mean, they, they, I try to be interesting. I try to say, okay, um, if we, I'll give you an example. Let, let's play this exercise out. So if we decided 20 years ago, I don't know when we did, but hypothetically, let's say it was 20 years ago, when we decided as a nation that it's more common and more acceptable to bring the dog inside to play with the kid than the kid go outside to play with the dog, we know that leads to a, a less active lifestyle. I mean, we know that. We know as a result of that, kids are probably going to gain weight. There's probably going to be some kids that become obese that may not have otherwise uh, become obese. So we know that that's not real good for the kid. Now, maybe, I don't know this, Josh or Rev, maybe there's a boy or two that didn't try to jump Grand Canyon on a bicycle and didn't break his arm or leg, and he's a little better off by not having extensive surgeries and pins in his arm. I mean, I, you know, I'll accept that. Maybe maybe the um, the nurturing of the masculine uh, experience and, and, you know, kind of kind of um, computers and video games and whatnot, maybe that did keep uh, – we didn't break as many young male bones by those kids staying inside. But, but okay, so, so that's kind of an interesting debate in itself. I think the answer is pretty obvious that kids are less healthy today if they stay inside than if they were outside playing and doing things and, and, and pursuing activities. But what about the dog? But I mean, the dog is kind of property of, right? I mean, the family owns the dog. The dog answers to the family. Uh, the dog carries the family to board, or they carry it on vacation, or they feed it this food or that food, or they carry it on, you know, on their trips to the beach or the mountains or wherever it is they go. Uh, but the dog is kind of there to please and there to serve in the weirdest way imaginable. But is it healthier for the dog? Is the dog a better dog bringing the do- when When we decided as a society to bring the dog inside, Instead of the kid going outside to play with the dog, what about the dogs? I mean, what, what happened to the dogs? Are, are they losing a certain sensation and adventurism that is in their DNA? Um, do dogs, would dogs rather be outside in 55-degree weather or inside in 78-degree weather wrapped in a blanket with a you know 15-year-old kid? <laughs> That's such a great question. I mean, I don't know. Well, I mean, I, I know from the human perspective it's not good. I mean, I, I'm, I'm landing there. I mean, without question, because I think health and fitness is a big part of the human experience, and I think we're less healthy and less fit when we sit on the, the couch and pet the dog instead of running around the yard with the dog. But what about the dog? I mean, I'm thinking of two vets in particular that I consider to be good friends. What would they say if I asked that question? Hey, man, my kid doesn't ever want to go outside and play. As a result, the dog stays in the house about 22 of 24 hours a day. Is that good for the dog? Or would the dog rather be outside? I'm not talking about in 10-degree weather, and I'm not talking about 100-degree weather with no shade. I mean, I understand that. But most of our days aren't 10 degrees. Most of our days aren't 100 degrees. Most of our days are very conducive to the kid and the dog being out in the yard. So if I stand by my comments that I think America would be a better place to work, live, and raise a family— I mean, that's political speech 101, then if we had fewer men in college and more men on farms, you know, I mean, th- these are hypothetical experiments, but, but you know, we're, we're hypothesizing on conservative talk radio. Is the dog better being inside or outside? I don't, I don't know the answer to that. Something says dogs being outside longer is better for the dog than dogs being inside. 
for longer, but I don't know that. I don't have any idea. Or there's certain you can breeds see a, of dogs. A dog, you know, in general, in the house, looks very content. In most cases, you but, see him. But isn't that kind of their curled job? up on the floor, you know, by a fire, <laughs> to be a little cliche, right? Uh, versus the natural instinct to be outside, guarding, retrieving. So, running. are we asking the dog to do something unnatural? When we ask the dog to lay on the couch with a kid and he's playing a video game, and you're right, the dog is very comfortable. I mean, it, it sleeps, it wakes up, it sleeps, it wakes up, it sleeps, it wakes up, it talks, it turns. Um, it lays on your lap with one, you know, side, lays on the lap. The other. But are we asking, what is the natural action of the dog is the point I'm trying to make. I wonder if it's any more, um, any more than humans, because humans have been conditioned to be inside now. We kind of have, haven't we? Right. We have. I mean, we, we don't. We, it wasn't we, always that way. I mean, we there wasn't always an inside. No, no. I mean, we were gatherer hunters for the, for the majority of our existence until we, you know, got fancy and everybody's got a streaming service and a and a and a playstation or a whatever it was uh, xbox or whatever those yeah. things are called i mean i, I just I, I don't know the answer to that and i'm not accusing anybody of being a bad parent i mean if you let your kid stay in the house and you bring the dog in the house i'm not accusing anybody of anything but are we asking the dog to do something unnatural when we ask the dog to stay in the house with the kid for you know 8 10 12 hours i think jam's kind of um leaning toward we're asking the dog to do something a bit unnatural uh, for the dog. 843-661-0937 is our number. Um, I will say this. Uh, there are some research out there, or there is some research out there about, um, about how much less active the brain is if we're not outside, I mean, the outside stimulates the human brain, dog brain. I don't know. Our cat brain, who knows? I mean, the cats don't come clean anyway, right? <laughs> I mean, the cats are, I mean, you got to agree. I, I got a I read one day. They're busy running the joint. Well, I mean, they, they run the entire world. I mean, yeah. the cats run the world, but I read one day that the second leading causes of birds deaths in the world is cats. And I told a buddy of mine, I mean, he finds cats to be, uh, he's like, I don't trust a cat. I mean, I trust a dog, love dogs, don't trust cats at all. I think the cats are always sizing us up to see how to take over. So I read him a, a story. I said, hey, man, um, I read this article that said cats kill the second most birds of anything that happens to them on planet Earth. And he said, what's number one? And I said, glass, windows, birds flying into windshields of cars and windows of buildings. And he said, I don't buy it. I said, what do you mean you don't buy it? I mean, the numbers are right here. Glass killed 100,000 birds. Cats killed 85,000 birds. And he said, and I quote, and you think those cats are turning all them birds in? <laughs> no way. No way those cats are turning all those, all those birds in. And he may be right. Because I think every day there's a cat somewhere conniving a way to take over the world. And I think cats have, you ready? I think cats have this telepathy or espn you know what i mean they, they, they can they can they can communicate one with another without sending an email without talking to one another and i think they kind of um telepathically say things or transmit brainwaves from one cat to another and i don't think it knows any bounds i mean i think it goes around the world and i think there's kind of a um there's a there's a supercomputer in catdom somewhere and and the cat universe knows exactly 
how manipulated Rev is by his cat. The cat supercomputer knows exactly how brainwashed I've been by my cat. And and together at some point in time, I'm convinced that dogs and human beings will both be subservient to the feline. 843-661-0937. Yeah. And birds ain't turning all them. I mean, those cats ain't turning all them birds in. I don't buy that for a second. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937 is our number. Somebody's on the phone. Let's go there. Neil in Sumter listening to WDXY. Good morning. Hey, good morning, guys. Hey, uh, I actually had something else I want to call in about, but uh, as you guys were talking about the dogs, uh, I've kind of seen some some uh, information about that. And basically, as we've become more domestic uh, and spent more time in our houses and less time outside, we've also bred dogs uh, for what they call puppy traits. And that's that's the you know the playfulness. So we've bred away from you know like the German shepherds or the the sheep dogs and the dogs that were were working or were you know warrior dogs like some of those bigger breeds, and we've bred them more to be like the puppy traits, the things that we enjoy. So they probably do like being inside with us and and you know throwing the ball you know more than they they like working. And you can see that with the different breeds, um, the differences in them. But uh, but what I really want to call in about, and you know, this is this is like a classic you know Friday afternoon news release thing. So I'm catching you guys right before the break. Why should a Republican go to the polls in six weeks in this winner take all primary? Do you see what I'm getting at? Why should a Republican go to the poll in this winner take all primary in six weeks? No, I don't. Because I have zero impact on this thing. If, if I believe the polling, Trump is so overwhelmingly ahead in South Carolina that my vote will have no effect. We've got a winner-take-all primary, so I don't even get to to try and put my put behind you know put some put some muscle behind DeSantis. You know, if it goes to a uh, a disputed convention, you know, we've got two candidates. Our leading candidates for president are what five and seven years older than the average life expectancy for a male in the United States. There's a lot that can happen in a year. The convention's not till what, August. Yet South Carolina pretty much is going to send all of our delegates as Trump delegates. You don't like that? I hate it. You'd, you'd rather be weighted. So Rona McDaniel, uh, Rona, let's see, what was her maiden name? I think Rom- uh, Romney. Romney? <laughs> Rona Romney, running the, running the Republican Party. The Republicans have done this on purpose. They want a clean kill. You know, they they want people to come in here to South Carolina. They want to. They want, they want it cleaned out. They don't care if there's eight or nine candidates that come into this state, but they want one leaving. And that's the reason behind it. And now in a situation like this, you know, why should I go vote? I mean, I, I'm going to because I always do. But I would love to be able to go in and, and probably vote for DeSantis and love to send – I don't know if South Carolina's got 100 delegates. It would be nice if 25 of them were DeSantis. Um, you know, so if it does – does come up before the convention we can at least say as the people of south carolina here's our second choice so anyway what, what what do you make of trump having such a commanding lead for such a long period of time uh performance we've seen what he did i liked what he did you know we've seen how he governed um i just i don't know if he can get elected again um, when, when trump says that he is your retribution how do you react to that? Now, that's Trump being Trump. That's him with the vitriol and all that. I, I, th- I think what 
what, from my perspective, what I what I like about what he would do is he knows where the bodies are buried now. He he he'll admit it when you, when they catch him in the right moment that that he was blindsided by how much blowback he got on day one and right at the very beginning because they they did not want him to go in and clean house. They didn't want him looking under the under the rugs, and he's done it now. So I do think the house cleaning he could give to the to the the cesspool of DC is pretty exceptional. Um, and that's, that's why I think they're pushing back so hard on him now. Yeah. He kind of knows where to go when he gets there this yeah. time. Thank if I were King for a day, I would force Congress to have half of their yearly session spent someplace else, uh, someplace else in the country. Yeah. They need to get out of that town. They, every Congressman gets two staffers. Every Senator gets five and you go someplace else. I'm and, with and you. I would happily pay for that. I'm with you. Thank you. I appreciate that. I mean, I've often said, yeah. let's, um, let's put government on wheels. Let's make it like a mobile home, you know, put the axles back under it, put the um, double wide back in the road and let's carry it to Denver for a week. And let's carry it to Austin, Texas for a week. And let's carry it to Greenville, South Carolina for a week. And let's carry it to, you know, rural Pennsylvania for a month. I mean, let's let, let's watch the lobbyist consultants and strategists chase the nation's capital around instead of taking over a town, let them kind of pursue um, the government in real, in real time. 843-661-0937. It's Monday. You know what that means? Takes Mondays to make Fridays trivia. Thanks to our good friends at Pepsi of Florence. Um, what is the old saying? The reason for the season, uh, if you're a Christian, is the birth of a Savior. Jesus Christ, uh, we believe, was uh, born, I don't say December 25. I mean, I think they're most, most historians say it's not the right date, but we ain't changing it. It's worked out and all the all the um, all the marketing, all the marketing uh, marvels that have um, kind of adopted and adapted to this um, newfound uh, but old standing phenomenon. Here's my question: Because if this, if you're Christian, as the reason for the season, the Middle East is very much in the news. Israel, in particular, where was Jesus born? Where was Jesus born? Uh, per the biblical accounts, eight four three six six one zero nine. Three seven. Give me the city of which Jesus was born. Do we have a call? Hi, you're on the air. Do you have a guess? Oh no, I I didn't hear the okay. guess. I was just... thank you eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. Apologize for the confusion. We're now in the trivia portion of this feeble attempt at radio break. <laughs> we do have a little delay from, we do. from when uh, we say it. Do you hear it? So understand that. Hi, you're on the air. You know uh, the answer. Uh, Bethlehem. You're right. Bethlehem. Eight, uh, who is this? Where are you calling from? Uh, David calling from Florence. Okay, David, sit tight. I'll get you back with Josh. He'll get all your information. Thanks to Pepsi of Florence. Uh, David wins a six-pack of Pepsi product. A couple of takes Mondays to make Fridays T-shirts. Um, I mean, Jerusalem's been in the news a lot lately. With uh, Well, not lately, but when Trump was president, the embassy was moved uh, to Jerusalem. I think Bethlehem's, what, 10 or 12 kilometers to one way or another of um of uh jerusalem ah uh, yeah i think it's I, I, my mom went there my mom went to the holy land said all she did was cry you know all she did was cry her emotions were so um overwhelming being a christian being in that part of the world where we believe the fundamental founding of our faith and the existence of christ as a savior born of a virgin crucified resurrected um, I mean, I guess the three most important dates 
uh, whatever dates they were, was the the virgin birth, the crucifixion, and then the um and then the resurrection. And the biblical accounts say Jesus was born in Bethlehem, um, in a manger. All right, or in kind of a, a a subpar dwelling. We'll just we'll just leave it at that. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. I want to thank a lot of you have texted me. I want to thank you, uh, and I mean that sincerely. I like to blow past these things, <laughs> but you know this was a little bit different. Um, Your birthday, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, thank you for all the kind words and well wishes. Um, but we've got work to do. We don't have time to. <laughs> I mean, we're humble souls, Josh. You know that. The humility's worn off on Josh. Josh came as a full of himself, young buck, college educated, you know, distinguished, uh, a bit academic, and we've we've ruined that. I mean, we've we've <laughs> yeah. absolutely lambasted him with whatever it is we do here every uh, every single day. I, I'm just impressed you. Got up at what time this morning? I got up at three forty-five at the beach to drive and do a show on your birthday. I left. So. I left the beach at four. Got here at about the same time Josh did. Uh, when Josh is running early and I'm running late, we get here at the same time. Uh, and then you you mosey in Rolling. at the last moment. Yeah. But, but that's what that's what um that's what big shots can do. <laughs> as long as I'm here yeah. by six, right? You know, and the weirdest thing imaginable. I'll close with this weird thing I thought about. What better way to honor my parents on my blankety blank birthday? than getting up at 345 to go to work. Uh, that's weird. <laughs> that there was some, there was a sense of that when I woke up. Uh, I still believe, and I, and I guess I'll die believing this, I think my dad is in heaven now kind of looking at me going, oh, okay, I mean, you going to tell me today you're going to take off. You know, you're going to sleep all day? I mean, it's 630, you're going to sleep all day, you're going to get up and, and do something productive. Anyway, we got this week to do the best we can well, happy to birthday. try and set the, thank you, to try and set the table for what lies ahead when we get back guys after Thanksgiving, after Christmas, I mean, it's, it's game on. I mean, we're about ready to cast ballots in Iowa. Enjoy your day. We'll talk.